Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN. the day that the NBA is getting ready to come back, on the day that Major League Soccer gets past economic issues, baseball is still at a complete impasse right now. And when Rob Manfred on Sunday told Tony Clark and Bruce Meyer, the head of the MLBPA and the lead negotiator, that there is a possibility that MLB would implement a 50-game season unilaterally, that tells you where the discussions are right now. If The owner side is saying, we are going to do this without your permission. We are going to do this if we can't come to a deal. That is a bad place to be months into a discussion. Eh, It's only been a few months. (laughs) Probably need another one. With Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. That's Alex Ferrario. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. That was Jeff Passan yesterday on ESPN talking about baseball being at an impasse. Speaking of, it's been a few months. Do you know today is our one-month anniversary, Jamie Rivers? You and I? You and I. Oh, my God. We've been doing this thing in in Alex years. The three of us together. (laughs) He says, that's not nice. Every day, Jamie tells me how great our show is, how much he loves working with the three of us. true. And we get on air, and he's like, yeah, been six years. He can't think, I think we need to put a mic in his truck when he leaves and see what he says. Oh, don't no, do no, 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 no. We don't want to hear that kind of thing? No, 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 no. No, we we don't just, need that's that. a safe spot. We just let her fly in the river's truck. We don't need that negativity. <laughs> he has to deal with us for three and a half hours every day. He doesn't need to deal with us afterwards. Are you kidding True. me? I love it. We have a great time here. Honestly, we joke around, but we have fun, and uh, that's the whole thing. And, hey, what's the motto? The more you listen, the more you like them. I've heard that that might be actually true. Yeah, might I'm, be. I I'm can't hoping. confirm, but I've heard it might be true. All right, so baseball. Baseball is at an impasse, right? Well, We got some news this morning from John Heyman. He reported that there is, quote, great confidence there will be baseball this year, even after players and owners hit a stalemate in talks yesterday. He added that he's not sure why this is, 
But it could be because owners believe the commissioner can and may be willing to mandate a short, about 50 games regular season. So it might just be as simple as owners are like, ah, screw it. We're done negotiating. It's going to be the 50-game season. We'll make this work. I will say I had a little bit of optimism when I was listening to the Tony Kornheiser show yesterday. And Tim Kirkchin was on the show. And Tony, at the end of the interview, said, listen, Tim, is there optimism here? Are we going to be able to watch baseball? Because all I want to do is Tony's up in D.C. I just want to watch the Nationals. Am I going to be able to do that? And here's Tim Kirkshin's answer to that question. I'm guessing if you're going to play 60 games, you start on August the 1st, you play 30 games in August, 30 in September, extended playoffs in October, and you're done October 31st. That's what I think is going to happen because they don't want to play past October because they're fearful that the spike is going to return in November and December, and they don't want to be playing when it gets potentially extra dangerous. So what have I asked all along, Jamie? What's the deadline? Is there a deadline here to get a deal done? And I said all along, June 1st feels flimsy. You hear people say June 1st, June 5th, June 6th, June 10th. What's the real deadline here? Now we're seeing some reports from Jason Stark that maybe July 15th is actually the better start date than July 4th to be able to get this thing going. Well, we know one deadline. It's October 31st. So backdate from there, and that's how we can figure out when we need to have baseball by Jamie, I'm starting to get less optimistic about baseball in July, but more optimistic that we're going to have baseball. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think that... Whoa! Whoa! Shouldn't have had that cigar in the break, apparently. Um, yeah, I think so. I think, like you said, October 31st is their 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 deadline for to end the season. So, yeah, work backwards from there. I don't really care when they start it. It's the fact that they get it done. And also, like you said in the intro there, you know, the owners, I got a question for you about this. Yeah. I'll try if to the owners answer. say 50 games, that's all we're doing, what do the players have as recourse to that? Like, I know there's negotiation going on right now, and the players came back with 114, the owners said 50. If the owners just say flat out, look, the talks are over, we're going with 50, take care, comb your hair. What can the players do? So, I have been thinking about that a lot over the last 24 hours or so. I listened to Jeff Passan on ESPN yesterday, and he said, basically, there is no recourse. Neither of these two sides really has a whole lot of leverage right now. The one bit of leverage that there is, though, is the owners. The owners, based on the March agreement, apparently have the ability to unilaterally decide how long the season is. They can decide, hey, it's going to be 50 games and this is when it starts. And from my understanding, the players, because of their current CBA, it's still in place even though there is a pandemic, they would be in breach of that contract if they decided to strike this season. Hmm. So from what I understand, the players can't actually strike right now. It would go to a neutral arbiter, and then eventually it would be deemed that the owners are correct in this. But basically, you're just wasting time by doing that is all you'd be doing. You're dragging your feet the same way the owners are now. But my understanding is there is no recourse. Because that was important for me to to figure that out because I'm like, okay, they're negotiating here, but are the owners actually at the end of it just negotiating against themselves because they hold the final card, right? And if they want to play that 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 ace of spades, there's nothing to stop them. That's why I think the, the owners have been so stubborn, if you want to call it that, about not 
giving anything back. And people look at it as, and look, I'm not taking one side or the other, but people see it as, well, the owners are just being jerks. They're making all this money. No, there's nowhere else that the players can go with this because that yeah. situation is mandated where you can't strike. So it's like, look, you can negotiate all you want, but this is what we want, and this is what's going to happen. I think we're going to see 50 games this year. I'm very confident, in fact, so we're going to see 50, 50 games in baseball. Do you think the owners budge just a little bit? Just a little, okay, we'll go 65. It will give you 60. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think we are going to see a minimum. Let me rephrase that. Take two. I think we're going to see a minimum of 50 games this year. I'm pretty confident in that. I don't know what it comes on top of that. I bet we'll see more. Maybe it's 60. Maybe it's 65. Maybe it ends up being the 482 that we've been talking about. I'm getting less and less optimistic about that. But from what I have read, there needs to be basically 30 days between when the agreement comes together and when we're actually going to be on the field starting the games. Well, June 4th. They wanted to start July 4th. Yeah. I don't think a deal's getting done today. <laughs> it doesn't look like so, it. doesn't sound like it. I think we have officially gone through what are the soft deadlines. We know what the hard deadline is at the end of the season. That is October 31st. We can backtrack from there, even if they do some of these double headers. You're not going to go every single day playing a game. It's just not going to happen. There's going to have to be some off days over the course of the season. So you need to, by mid-July, late July, probably going to have to get it in at some point there. So you've probably got another week or two to be able to negotiate before you you legitimately have to have a deal done. They're going to get this done. I think they are. I mean, look, I, I don't think anybody's going to leave there feeling like they won the deal at all. I think the owners are going to probably feel like they want it a little bit more than the players. I think the players are going to have a little bit of a bad taste in their mouth and I think they'll get to, they'll get back to baseball and where this is going to to rear its ugly head again is when that CBA comes up. Players are going to go, hey, yeah. remember the time? Yeah, well, screw you. Yeah. And then we're going to have all these discussions again. And I just, I'm praying for you, baseball. Come on, man. Let's Six, just get it done. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show at any point today from the 636. BK's optimism over the last few weeks is about as sporadic as a river's goal during his career. And yes, I understand that it is more goals than I ever scored. Listen, I've been sporadic over the last few weeks in my optimism because with new information, I have a new opinion on where baseball is going to be. And at this point, I don't know how you could possibly have a whole lot of optimism that baseball is going to have an 82-game season. That was a shot at both of us. It was. You just got that? Yeah, it's 636. What the heck is going on here? I'm not even four sips into my coffee, and here I am. I'm under fire. Come on. Welcome to my world and you can't, literally every day. <laughs> well, wait, no, you can't do that, though. You can't go, oh, more sporadic than a river's goal during his career. But then you can't add the the automatic deflector after, and yes, I know it's seven more than I ever scored. No, you can't, you can't insult me, then take away my insult just to cushion yourself. Forget you, 636. Just, and I love you. I would also add that it was uh, it was seventeen goals in your career, not seven. No, that's not the 17. point. Seventeen. They, they, they took away my comeback. That's what you fair. call a win in an argument, Rivs. Yeah, it I is know. the point too. I'm, I'm helping you out here, man. You got seventeen goals in your damn career. That's yeah. fantastic. It's not seven guy's... more than you. It's seventeen more than you. It's oh. seven in your Blues career. It's totally different. <laughs> With Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. That's Alex Ferrario. It's eleven thirteen. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. 
I do think we need to talk about this Drew Brees situation. And I want to talk about what can come of it that is a positive. Because I do think there's a real positive to come from all of this. We'll do that next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. never agree with anybody um, disrespecting the flag of the United States of America or our country. Um, let me let me just tell you what I see or what I feel when the national anthem is played and when I look at the, the flag of the United States. I envision my two grandfathers who fought for this country during World War II, one in the Army and one in the Marine Corps, both risking their lives to protect our country and to try to make our country and this world a better place. So that was Drew Brees yesterday on Yahoo Finance. Of course, we now know, and if you've watched any bit of news, you have seen the backlash that came as a result of those comments. Since then, I do think it should be noted, Drew Brees this morning released an apology. And I'll go ahead and summarize some of this for you. He opens by saying, I would like to apologize to my friends, teammates, the city of New Orleans, the black community, NFL community, and anyone that I hurt with my comments yesterday. And speaking with some of you, it breaks my heart to know the pain that I caused. He continued to go on from there, but that's the general tone that he had in his public apology today. Now, I don't want to get too far into this because everybody has a very emotional response anytime that we bring up some of this stuff. But what I will say is as recently as three years ago, Colin Kaepernick was absolutely crushed for kneeling during the anthem. If a player did that today, based on the response that we saw yesterday to Drew Brees, I don't think it would be the same response. And so I will say this from everything that I read, everything that I heard yesterday. I think this is the, some of the progress that we were talking about the other day, Jamie. When I was talking about how, you know, 2011, I'm a freshman in college and we see the Trayvon Martin thing. And we continue and it, it, it continued forward with Michael Brown. We know all the names at this point. And then it came to a head again in the past 10, 15 days with the George Floyd situation. When you have all of those things, my question in the beginning was, is this going to be different is there going to be anything that comes differently out of this than has come from the past? And when Drew Brees said this yesterday, the reaction that we saw, it felt like the public had shifted. It was a very quick, and I don't know if it happened because of this situation or if there was another turning point. I don't know what happened. But there appears to be a shift in the conversation from what we saw as recently as three years ago to where we are today. That was my biggest takeaway from everything that I saw yesterday. My biggest takeaway with all this is when I heard Drew Brees talk and then I saw the backlash, my biggest takeaway is that I really didn't know or understand what Colin Kaepernick was doing. Interesting. Really? Agreed. Because you know what? I I think a lot of people felt that kneeling during the national anthem was disrespectful and everybody not everybody, almost everybody has an attachment to somebody in the military who served for the the country and the flag and maybe died defending the flag and all this stuff. But that that wasn't the message, you know, and I feel like I don't know if I just didn't pay attention enough. If that's the case, shame on me for that. Um, or if it wasn't communicated enough by Colin Kaepernick and the other guys who were trying to. Uh, protest or send a message to everybody else had, I think, had it been more crystal clear at the time 
I believe the reaction may have been different, but I, I think the biggest problem is that people got confused on that. Is he disrespecting the country, the flag? No, he was trying to bring awareness during a time where for him where, where it was around painful things, and it's just it's shifted for me. It's like I, I get it now. I do. I don't. Con- I, I still. I'm kind of like Drew Brees. I think the flag has a special place. Yeah. And but knowing that, well, I don't know because I haven't had a chance to talk to Colin Kaepernick. Assuming that it had nothing to do with the actual flag and had nothing to do with people's grandparents who were in the war and died for the country, that it had something totally different attached to it, and that we're kind of seeing it today of what was kind of attached to what he was doing. I have a whole new view on it and a whole new respect for it. I suffered from the same thing you did, Ribs, to where, you know, that picture wasn't really clear to me at the time because I was kind of on the side of Drew Brees of like, boy, that's really disrespectful. And uh, you don't really understand it until now. And now I feel like the picture is a lot more clear of what Colin Kaepernick was doing and you appreciate it and you do hope it sparks change. And I'll say this, I read an article last night uh, at NOLA.com and I believe uh, Luke Johnson, I pulled it up because I wanted to make sure I got his name right. It was a really compelling piece because this is a guy who served in the Marine Corps. And this is always the part that I thought. Like, everybody knows somebody who served in the yep. military, and you want to ask their opinion, because you guys are the one fighting for the privilege to do this. And he wrote, he said, look, I didn't fight for the opportunity for people to disrespect the flag or see that as disrespecting the flag. The reason I risked my life, my brother risked his life, my family risked their life in the military, was so that people like Colin Kaepernick can do what they're doing. They can voice their opinion so that other people can see where they're coming from. And to me, that hit home, and it made it a lot more clear now that Drew Brees has spoken, and then Steven Jackson from the NBA, and we've seen Malcolm Jenkins come out as well. We talked to Alonzo Martin yesterday, and he said something that really hit home with me. He, he mentioned why he's speaking out now. And when I asked him the question, it wasn't so much a, like a, Conzo, you, you never talk. No, Conzo is willing to speak about a lot of social issues going on in America at any given time, but he's speaking differently about it right now. He's making sure that his voice is heard. He wants to use his platform. So I just asked him, what, what went into this decision? And I think it kind of goes to what you guys are talking about right now. Let's listen to that answer real quick, and then I want to talk about it on the other side. When I was out in California, when Colin Kaepernick took, took a knee, and I uh, saw that up close, uh, and I just... You know, I think more than anything, this is hard to say, uh, self-preservation over that situation because you want to provide for your family and a, and a guy like me, I provide for more than just my immediate family. You, you, you help young men and women in communities, families. You do so many things. You try to do right by people. So in working for a university, you want to be careful there. So I didn't take a step. I just got to this point where I have to do something. And I think uh, you have to be part of the change. I, I have to get in the trenches to be a part of the change. I just can't sit back anymore. And that's what it came down to for me. I think the biggest thing that shifted this time around is that more people are speaking out that have a story to tell. Mm-hmm. More people that we're willing to listen to that aren't shouting, that are are, are doing so uh, calmly, and they are just explaining their story, their experience of what it is like for them to live in America. We're listening to them now. And more people like all of us in this room are listening. We're doing less talking and more listening and having conversations that we wouldn't have otherwise with people that maybe we wouldn't have talked to otherwise. We're reaching out to people, finding out what did, what am I, what did I miss here? How did I miss it so badly? And so now we're moving forward. And so, I again, I go back to the other day, I asked, is this going to be progress? Is there going to be something tangible that comes from all of this? I think we're starting to see the answer to that question is yes. And I hope that ends up being the case a month, two months 
months, three months, a year from now. I hope that stays. It sustains in itself. But I do think there is something different about this moment compared to what we've seen in the past. And it was on full display yesterday with the reaction to Drew Brees' comments because he made those same comments three years ago. This is not a new response for Drew Brees. It's the same one that he had. Mm -hmm. He used this the last time. And last time, it was the public sentiment that he was agreeing with. This time, it's a public sentiment that is completely different that he is now disagreeing with. And he had to issue a public apology as a result of that. So I do think that's something that's positive that can come from this. I do think, for me, I guess the, the last thing I'll say about it is two things. One, last night was the third night in a row I had a conversation with my kids regarding current events. Said it yesterday. That hasn't happened before. Hasn't happened. Yep. So that's the third night in a row. We are open for discussion on things that are going on. And so to me, that's a step in the right direction. And the last thing I'll say about Drew Brees and Colin Kaepernick is that I feel to some degree, and I could be wrong, and maybe I'm I'm just dumb. I don't know. I don't think that's the case. It's possible. <laughs> I feel like they both are misunderstood on what they're saying a little bit here. Meaning, I think that Drew Brees, I don't think Drew Brees, I could be wrong. I don't think he was intentionally trying to hurt Colin Kaepernick with those comments. And I don't think Colin Kaepernick was intentionally trying to hurt people's feelings who had people serve in the military. I think that the discussion should be had between people so that we avoid this jumping to conclusions. And then, you know, we go after people for something that we think it is or that, you know, you might hear it differently than me. I might hear it differently than Alex and I just think that if there's ever a time in life right now, it's to just calm down and ask questions and evaluate what do people really mean by what they're saying. Yeah, I think Conzo Martin had did a great job. And if you missed that interview, I'd highly recommend checking it out. 101ESPN.com is the place where you can go to find it. Conzo Martin spoke with us yesterday about all of this. I thought I thought he did a great job of it yesterday. He said pretty plainly, listen, I didn't speak out in Cal. I think I was wrong for doing so. And now I want to make sure that my message is out there. And he's having conversations with his players, just like Jamie is having conversations with his kids. I'm having conversations with my girlfriend and my family. I mean, there's there's conversations that are taking place right now that probably should have happened four years ago, but we didn't have them. And so now we are. And it's not about going back and saying we were wrong then. It's about making sure that we continue to have that progress now and we move forward and that something good can actually come from this moment. I hope that ends up being the case. One thing I want to mention real quick, your text line is obviously lighting up. This is a yeah. hot button, okay? And there's texts that are all over the map right now. Sure. And we're not trying to <laughs> to send out a message. This isn't our mission statement right now as we've got this figured out. I don't have anything figured out. And I... I don't speak for my counterparts, but I believe they feel the same way. So we're just trying to have the conversation. That's all there is to it. We're not condoning one side or the other. I'm certainly not condoning violent protests. No, of course. Uh, you know, peaceful protest is, is where it seems to be. I'm not condoning people who are disrespecting the black community. None of that. All we're trying to do here is continue to open the doors for discussion so that all of us can live a happy life and, and be friendly on this earth. You know, like enough with the BS. Yeah, uh, I, there, there's been a lot of progress that's been made in my life, and it happens quickly. The, the shift comes in a way that you can't expect it. You can't anticipate it. And then suddenly everything shifts to the other side, and it's like, whoa, that happened really fast. Yeah. And yesterday was one of those moments for me where I was like, whoa, I 
I, I asked my friend actually earlier in the day, uh, this was before the Drew Brees comments and all the public backlash that he received, but I said, what do you think would happen if a player this year in the NFL kneeled during the anthem? He says, I, I think it would be probably pretty similar to the last time. I was like, I don't know. I think this might feel a little bit differently. And later on in the day, we see this, and it's like, wow, I, I really do think that the response would be different this mm-hmm. time around. That doesn't mean that it's good, bad, and different, but it's just, it's different. I do think that is something that we are seeing that is legitimate progress taking place right in front of us. And it's hard to see in the moment, but I think we saw it in the moment yesterday. Real quick, the progress that you're talking about is a perfect example is what Malcolm Jenkins did yesterday. I mean, we all saw the main video that he put out, but the video before is what it used to be, where guys were just saying, you know, shut the blank up, stop... But then he put another video out explaining where his emotions were at, and I think that is what that changes you're talking about, BK. With Jamie Rivers, former Blues defenseman, and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. I'm very excited for this next conversation. The Blues captain, the captain of your Stanley Cup champion, St. Louis Blues, Alex Petrangelo is going to join us, and he says nothing is off limits. Let's talk to him about it. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. One, two, three, four. A team that was in last place on January 3rd. The players on the bench are bouncing up. History will be made tonight in Boston. 15 seconds to go as Shen blocks a puck to the corner. 10 seconds remaining. Get up, St. Louis. Get on your feet. Raise them high. Five seconds to go. And the time winds down. They did it. It's over. The game is over. The series is over. The wait is over. And the St. Louis Blues are the Stanley Cup champions for the first time in franchise history. With former St. Louis Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. We are happy to be joined by the captain of your defending Stanley Cup champions and the defenseman that we all hope is here for the long term. He is Alex Petrangelo joining us here on Ribs and BK. Petro, how you doing today, man? I'm good, guys. How are you? Uh, we're doing very well. So let's start with this. We've all been having a weird time right now. There's no sports. We were certainly in quarantine, kind of cooped up for quite a while. We know you got some little ones around the house. What's life been like for the Petrangelos of late? You know what? It was a little bit rough, I think, to start. I mean, I'm not used to being around that much. So I was almost like uh, I had to catch up with everything in my wife. Uh, I'll tell you what, she's a saint to know that she does this every day with the three of them. So it's kind of been a sense of reality for me to know what it's like to be home all the time. But I think now that we kind of got into a groove, um, anyone who knows you know, what it's like to be a parent and be away from their kids, you uh, certainly enjoy it when you're home. And I've enjoyed it uh, more than I thought. I think at this age, too, they're almost turning two, so their personalities are really starting to come out, and their attitudes, which we've learned (laughs) fairly quickly. So uh, good good, uh, parenting lessons. They get to be in uh, quarantine as long as we have. Yeah, Petro, okay, so I used to have the same problem. At the end of the season, I'd come home, and, you know, my wife will have been holding down the fort, and we had the four kids, and I'd come home and think that my opinion actually mattered when it came to what was going on in the house. And and you know my wife, and you've, you've had a chance to talk to her. She quickly reminded me that that was like her castle and that I was the newbie around. So I'm wondering, how long did it take for you to realize that you were just going to take orders and do what she's telling you? Uh, I've been with my wife for 10 years, so I knew that a long time ago. <laughs> I, I, you know what, so I make some dumb mistakes with the kids, so... Maybe uh, maybe it's best I leave there. I bought up the kids these uh, 
the boys are into dinosaurs. Girls, she's into like trolls, so I always get these dolls. But uh, I bought these kids dinosaurs, and I bought them one the other day. And didn't know how loud they were. My wife said, "Well, those ones are going to go in the dumpster." I'm like, well, I just ordered those. I was so excited about them. So I guess you're kind of you, you live and you learn, right? Is the, is there anything else in particular, Petro, that you're doing around the house right now that your wife's just like, come on, like this is this is not acceptable, whether it be like throwing the clothes in the hamper but not quite getting it all the way in? Is there anything that you do at home that just gets on your la- the last nerve of your wife? Um, I'm a busybody, so I'm always like, all right, let's clean the house. Let's, you know, what clothes do we not need anymore? What toys do we not need anymore? She's like, you know, just leave it. The kids are fine. And you know what I find with the kids? It's always that one toy that you want to throw out that they've never played with. And then you throw it in the garage and you're like, okay, I'm going to donate it. And then they see it and all of a sudden they play with it for a week and you're like, oh gosh, you know, (laughs) put it in the car. (laughs) I have lived that one too. Putting it out, you're like ready to clean up. And then the kids are like crying because they're like, daddy's getting rid of my favorite toy. I'm like, I haven't touched it in six months. Yeah. And with, you know, twins or triplets and there's a lot of toys. Let's just say that. So, okay, Petro, I know you're a busy body, okay? You can't sit still, and your brain's working a million miles a minute. This break has been unique, to say the least. And, you know, we've all experienced lockout-type situations and whatnot where sometimes the finish line, you can't see it, you're not quite sure. But this is really unique in the, in the fact that we've never really dealt, not really, we just never have dealt with this before. How have you been handling mentally to stay focused, to stay in shape, to be ready, but knowing that the finish line, like, we don't know where it is? Um, I, I took a little, maybe a, a little bit of time off, but really since then, I've just treated it as my off season. I mean, I figured, you know, if we do go back and play uh, and finish, and let's just say we do go all the way, it's going to be technically an off season, which will be probably shorter than normal. So there won't be much time to kind of train and get back. So, I really I sat down with Eric, uh, my trainer, and we kind of went over a plan and just you know I've, I've been training longer than I did all of last off season I think or maybe close so it's, I, that's kind of the way I've gone about it and if they give us the go ahead to say we're going to play I'll probably get back on the ice but for now I'm just staying off the ice after all the hockey you know we played last year and then uh, you know we'll, we'll have three weeks four weeks of training camp and then probably a couple weeks before training camp before we even know that we're going to play so I think that's ample time for. A guy like me who uh, who could probably use the rest. Yeah, okay. So that's interesting because, like, back in the day, we used to go a couple of months <laughs> before touching the ice in the off season, and we yeah. get back and work off the beer and, and chicken wings. But you guys now, it's I mean, it's a twelve month gig, and I know you. You're on the ice a lot. You do a lot of extra work. This has to be the longest period of time that you haven't been on the ice. How hard is that for you? No, it hasn't been too bad. I think it's because we played so much hockey last year, and now that I'm, you know, I can find the distraction at home with the kids that keep me busy. But um, it's been a good opportunity, and, and like I said, last summer uh, between the the finals and then you celebrate and all that. I mean, the, the off season wasn't as long as I usually get to really work on things. So you know, I, I really like to focus on things in the off season. To kind of, uh, I want to make sure that I stay healthy and not get injured, and you know, obviously help me become a better player, but. Uh, I've really had an opportunity now to really sit back and focus on those things and not feel like I'm, you know, in a rush to uh, to train to try and get to where I want. So, uh, I mean, maybe it's been nice to kind of take that break and be able to focus on things here because it'll help me 
if we do go back and then go into the next year. We're talking with Blues captain and defenseman Alex Petrangelo here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Petro, we talked with uh, Braden Shin the other day, and he said there hasn't been a ton of communication in terms of like the full team with Zoom meetings or anything like that, but that there's at least an ongoing group message that there's some memes going back and forth and those sorts of things. How much communication has there been between you and some of the other players on the team about what it's going to take to be able to get back on the ice? Yeah, we have a chat that's always going on, and there's always uh, calls with the league and our union that uh, we have a pretty good representation in our team. I mean, usually there's anywhere from five to a dozen guys on those calls, and we'll all chat about that after. And, um, you know, we're a tight group, so everyone's staying in touch. I mean, um, I think most of the guys kind of know that there's a chance that we're going to play again. So the big discussions that we have are, like you said, how do we prepare and, and when's it going to all start? So, it's been kind of talking in circles right now because we don't really know what the uh, what the answer is going to be. But most of us are still in St. Louis, so uh, we run into each other once in a while. Yeah, I can just imagine the frustration of t- being like running in circles because you don't know what's coming, if it's coming, when it's coming. But if we're going to isolate something that we do know that's come out in, in the last little bit is the format for the playoffs. Looking at the format, and you know, Shanner had. You know, basically, Shanner just gave it the, I don't even care what the format is the other day. But, you know, for yourself, does the format matter to you right now? Is there something you like about it? Is there something that maybe you don't like about it? Uh, there was oh, countless ideas thrown out. I can, can't even think of half of them. There were so many. And whichever one that we said, oh, maybe that makes sense, there was a, a way to look at it and say, oh, you know what, that doesn't really make sense. So, you know, I kind of have the same answer where it doesn't really matter as long as, you know, everybody agreed on it, as long as the general managers agreed on it, and, you know, you just kind of go with it. The logistics, obviously, are the hardest part to work out with our families, but that's a whole other step that I think between us and the league we're going to have to take. But uh, in terms of just playing, there's no easy answer. Um, Got to find a way to keep everybody involved and try and, you know, um, have some entertainment, and this is the best way we thought it would be possible. In terms of just playing, what is it about the St. Louis Blues, in your opinion, that gives you guys an advantage, let's say, going into this, that maybe some other teams just don't have? Uh, one, chemistry. I mean, we've all played together for a long, most of us, for a long time, and we have an identity. Uh, we certainly found that identity last year, carried into this year, and we have depth. Um, I think as the season progresses, we were able to use that depth, but this will be interesting because, uh, you know, we plan all year knowing that, okay, we have a chance to, uh, you know, make the playoffs and have success in the playoffs and, and you sit down and you plan all year with the coaches uh, on how you're going to go about your business. And, you know, good teams are able to uh, keep that, you know, game at a high level, which is what we've done. Um, but then again, now everybody's healthy and every team is going to be healthy. So it's certainly going to be a little bit interesting. There might be more surprises than people think here going into, into this thing. Blues captain Alex Petrangelo on with us here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Petro, I did want to ask you, because every time that we talk with a player, they, they have a lot of ifs, if we're able to get back on the ice. And I think for a lot of the fan base, there was there was a, a belief when they announced the format that, oh, okay, they're coming back in early August. This is going to be, we're going to be able to watch the Blues go win the Cup again and starting in early August. How How much still needs to be done before we actually are able to watch these games on the ice? Well, there's a lot. I mean, this is just the first step. I mean, we haven't really begun phase two yet. So um, this is one thing that was on, an ongoing discussion that is, is checked off the list. But uh, I said it before, it's, it's it's hard because it's not really in our hands. And we have, you know, the, the government and the health officials 
making those decisions for us. But again, it's easy because they're making the decisions and um, those are the right decisions for us. And we're going to trust their, you know, opinions and, and what they say. So we have to trust what they're doing. Obviously um, um, it's kind of working between the union and the league and, and the health officials and, the, and there's good communication, which is uh, making things a little bit easier. But again, we're following their guidelines and uh, rightfully so that's how it should be. All right, Petro, it's time to talk about the elephant in the room, buddy. And I'm, you know, I'm the guy to do it. Um, look, we know you're unrestricted free agent at the end of this season, whenever that may be. Um, has there been any dialogue between Newport Sports and, and Doug Armstrong and yourself? You guys chatting at all lately? Um, you know, it's been quiet. Uh, obviously, this is a situation that no one really, uh, you know, saw coming, but you know, I've kept most of the stuff internal, and I think I'm. You know, I, I prefer to keep it that way. Like the the only thing that I can really say is, is me and my wife are really taking our time to kind of go through all of the options and what's going to happen. And um, you know, the league doesn't even know, you know, where things are going to be at. I think once you know they decide if if we're coming back or or not, there'll be a little bit more clarity on what's going to happen next year moving forward. But um, you know, you know me, I'm I'm running 100 miles an hour, but <laughs> I'll give myself credit. I've had an opportunity to really sit back and. Um, take my time and really just discuss with, with my wife and um, my family about what's going to be the best decision for us moving forward because ultimately that's that's what matters. Now look, it's a unique situation, Petro, because the pandemic is upon us, right? And that's going to affect a lot of things moving forward, but how many discussions have you had with, you know, Pat Morris, Don Meehan, Newport Sports, and your wife just about, you know, how different this next contract could look because of the pandemic? Um, I've heard, you know, people say that before and they've asked me that before. And I don't think it's really um, going to affect, you know, maybe as much as people think it may, but I think the hardest thing for teams, whether it's me or, or, or different free agent is, um, or a restricted free agent, whatever it is, they're going to have to find ways to be more creative than maybe they, they were planning on before, especially after they had said that the, uh, the cap was going to go up. So I think it's just more teams finding ways to make things work, finding different ways to make things work and, um, again, I think both sides know that this wasn't really planned from, from anybody. So I think everybody's going to have to kind of sit down and, and try and work things out. Petro, so I, I, from the outside looking in and just from the fans' perspective, there's a lot of emphasis placed on legacy, right, for players, whether, whether it's within an individual community or a team. And for you, you're, you're the first captain to hoist the cup here in this community, and you have grown up here. People love you here. How much is that going to be a factor in your discussions, whether it be with the Blues or with your wife, with your agent, in terms of just knowing, like, if you did re-sign here and you spent the rest of your career here, what that would mean for your legacy, both here in St. Louis and nationally? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a big deal. I mean, I've been here my whole career. The city means a lot to me. Uh, you know, my wife being from here, and we've got a lot of family and friends here. This is a place, uh, you know, it's become a second home to me, and... uh I guess it's uh, it's one way to put it about legacy, and I've had some really good memories here too, and and I'd like to keep those memories. But again, it's we got to sit back and, and kind of go through this thing, and it's uh, it's a decision that takes a lot of people and a lot of opinions that that you know you want to count on, and obviously um, everyone knows you know I'm close with my family, my wife's family, and it's uh, it's fun to have those conversations because their inputs matter. This uh, this city means a lot to me, so uh, hopefully we can get something done, you know, in that aspect, but. Uh, again, certainly uh, a lot of things to discuss. All right, Petro. I've been asking this question of a few of the guys, and I'm going to throw it at you. 
Um, what's your favorite thing to grill? Okay, like I don't doesn't mean you have to be good at it. Doesn't mean you have to like be an expert. What's your favorite thing to throw on the grill? And if you're grilling, and we we even asked John Mosaylock this question, okay? But favorite thing to grill, and then like what's the cocktail of choice while you're grilling? Just kind of sitting back on a Petro afternoon, throwing the grill on, <laughs> swirling around a little cocktail. Bring us inside Petro World. I don't mind a little glass of scotch while I'm, while I'm grilling, or maybe a glass of wine, but. Uh, if I can find time to even drink it these days, but <laughs> for me, it's uh, I'm pretty simple. I mean, I don't mind like a nice beef tenderloin. I just kind of found you know time to make one. That's easy because I just put it on there and I leave it. I don't have to keep going to check it. Um, every time I open the door, the kids are running out. Or, or a nice you know nice steak. I don't mind going on the patio with the kids making a steak and kind of uh, sitting by the pool with them. So I'm pretty simple. You know, I like my red meat. So uh, anything that's that's red meat, I'll have to go with that. That's perfect, buddy. Now I can't wait for the invite. <laughs> you got a babysit, though. That's cool. <laughs> oh, buddy. Well, look, hey, I want to thank you for coming on here. I wish you uh, nothing but health and safety as things uh, progress here. And I wish you nothing but luck with the contract. Obviously, personally, I'd love to see you here in a balloon out for the rest of time. Uh, but I know decisions are decisions. But I really, really appreciate you coming on today, Petro. You got it, guys. Anytime, my pleasure. You're the best. Thanks so much, Petro. We really All appreciate right, it. That's Blues yeah. captain and defenseman Alex Petrangelo joining us here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. So we're going to make this a three-segment hour. We'll take a break coming up here in just a moment, but I wanted to react to a few of the things that he had to say here. Um, I thought that it was very interesting, first of all, before we get to the contract stuff that he said, said, I think we're going to have three or four weeks before we get to training camp, just as a heads up from the league that everything's been agreed upon. Here's what the plan looks like. And then another three to four weeks of training camp. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I kind of timed this out a little bit. Let's say it's the four weeks on both sides of that thing. Well, that takes you four weeks of the heads up from today. That would take you to June 25th. And then if you go another four weeks from there, you're talking about July 23rd. They're thinking about like early August as when we're going to come back. Got to get some decisions made here pretty quickly. We talk a lot about baseball and the urgency for them to make decisions. It's going to quickly have to come from an if question with the NHL to a win question for the NHL. Yeah, and I think that they're getting there. I bet you there's a lot of ifs that have been solved by now. but sure. it, it, And respectfully so, they're being very careful. Right, as and, they should be, hundred percent, and not just in what they're doing for the planning, but and how they're communicating it. I think that you know you want to be careful with your words these days. You want to make sure that you don't give an idea of something that maybe isn't there, and then all of a sudden it doesn't happen, and your fan base is getting angry and whatnot. So, I, I do think that there's things that are being solved along the way here. Uh, as he mentioned, there's a lot of phone calls. They have a strong representation on those phone calls with the PA and certainly the league. So. Uh, and and it's the timeline, look, I think Petro just throwing a few things out there. But to my knowledge, these guys are allowed to get back on the ice in the next couple weeks, June 13th, 14th, 15th, somewhere in there. And their small group training, that phase two that we've talked about. Uh, so, you know, the, it might be a little bit better than what we're saying as far as sure. the congestion of it all happening at once. But, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff still left to happen. And it's not... Look, this is where I go back to baseball all the time. Like, baseball kind of has it easy yep. because they're not checking. They're not in each other's faces. They're not like – and so the NBA, the NFL, and the NHL, they have a lot more boxes to check to make – one, to make it safe, and two, to make the players feel safe. 
The other thing, of course, that we need to discuss from that interview is what he had to say about his contract. He made it very clear, and I, I will say this, just as kind of upfront. Petro made it very clear to both of us, or to you specifically, as he as he was talking with you about coming on with us, nothing's off the table. If you yeah. guys want to ask me about the contract, Gotta ask me about the contract. That. Uh, that's commendable, because a lot of guys just say, listen, I don't want to talk about that. I'll figure that out in the offseason. It's, it's not something that's top of mind for me. He didn't have to answer those questions. I appreciate him doing so. When we asked him about it, he did say, listen, I've kept a lot of that stuff internal, but I will say this. I've had a lot of time here to be able to talk to my wife, to talk to my agents about kind of what's ahead and what lies ahead for me. I don't. I get the impression nothing's been determined there, but it is probably nice for him to be able to sit back right now and think like, hey, if all things are equal, what would I do? If there's a short-term deal that's more money and a long-term deal that's less money, which one would I take there? Those sorts of things, I would imagine, are things he's discussing with his agency and with his wife right now. Yeah, and I, th- I think that, believe it or not, I think he let us in behind the curtain quite a bit on that. I mean, I know he didn't discuss numbers and term and things like that, which I'm sure we'd all love that, but I knew that wasn't going to happen. But he did. He talked openly about talking with his family, uh, with his wife, his wife's family, the you know Newport Sports, his agency. And I guarantee that he's talked to a couple of real tight teammates that he's been around a long time. Maybe some alumni guys that are around town that he's played with that have gone through similar situations. Alex Petrangelo is a very well-thought-out guy. And it's not going to be a decision to where he just gets up one day and he decides this. It's going to be something that he's gone over several times. He's going to weigh the pros and the cons. And, you know, like I said, I hope for for our sake, I hope it gets worked out and he's a St. Louis Blue for the rest of his career. Um, but on the other hand, I would understand if there's opportunity somewhere else where he can take care of his family, it just seems like a better situation, then, you know, hats off. To the guy. Hats off to the guy who lifted the Stanley Cup for the first time. The first captain to lift that Stanley Cup here in St. Louis. 101 ESPN presents Play Gloria, the St. Louis Blues run to the Cup each and every Thursday and Friday night. You'll hear a replay of two classic games from the Blues 2019 historic run to the Cup. You'll relive each game with added insight and behind-the-scenes commentary from Chris Kerber, Joey Vitale, and our own Alex Ferrario. Tonight, tonight... You will hear Blues versus Bruins, Stanley Cup game number five, and tomorrow night, it all comes with the finale. Blues versus Bruins, Stanley Cup game number seven. Pre-game starts at six, play-by-play at seven. It is play Gloria. The St. Louis Blues run to the cup, and it is brought to you by Mitsubishi Electric Cooling and Heating. With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll get to some questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for your questions. We'll get to those next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Time for questions and answers with Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. I've got one of my own to start things off here. So Bring we, got it. It, we got in today. First thing that we noticed the other day, we talked about how our friend Alex Ferrario has shaved his beard. Looks like it's already starting to come back in nicely. I'm proud of you, By Alex. By the way, shout out to Jeff Burton. He got me some beard oil because he said you need to grow your beard Ooh, back. Jeff Burton, I'd be, I, I would be careful with it that. It was in a cardboard box, so I know it was. Are you didn't sure tamper with it. Are you sure it's beard oil? Uh, I just, it looked like he didn't tamper with it, but it's I guess Jeff we'll find Burton. out. I'm sorry, we just have to be it honest. It could literally here. be anything. It at could this be point. anything. It's true. So today, Ferrario came in with another change of his appearance. Oh, yeah. Sometimes he's wearing shorts. He's wearing shorts. It's officially short season. It is. I've got a question for you guys. Yeah. Is it all right to admit that uh, you're self-conscious about wearing shorts because of your calves? 
Is this a safe space is here? That, you're one of those guys where it looks like you're riding a chicken? Yes. Yes. Okay. It doesn't you're matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I do. Really? Mm. It doesn't matter. I could do legs every day. I've got chicken legs. No, see, for me, you just embrace the fact that you have chicken legs. I mean, I when I put shorts on, people look at me and say, do you even lift, bro? So I just embrace that's, the fact that's that their did first they use comment, that word? Yeah, that's their first comment. Well, it's, it's more like bra, you know? Bra? It's a bra. Yeah. You okay. look bra? Is your tight? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're close like Jamie, that. Jamie, I feel like you're the guy that's like, yeah, I've got calves. So I don't oh, I don't have this I, issue. Uh, Dude's yeah. a hockey Listen, player. my my lower body is a pain literally in the butt. I can't find jeans that fit because my thighs and my ass yeah. are too big. <laughs> the hockey player problem. I'm built like a Clydesdale, basically. And my calves, like socks, I have to buy like super long socks or forget it. They don't get over the calf area and they just roll down all the time. It's, uh, yeah, it's not a great thing, but it is what it is. I mean, you have to be built a certain way to play the sport. And I was I, not built that way. I was built for for that. I, I, but I was always a Clydesdale, never a thoroughbred. Jimmy Roberts used to say that all the time. He'd say, some guys riff. Some guys are thoroughbreds. You just take them and you just let them run. We you need to get Jimmy Roberts run. on the show. Uh, it's going to be difficult. Yeah, he's just passed, away. passed away. Yeah, but anyways, Jimmy used to say, let the thoroughbreds run. And he'd go, you, you, Riff, you're a Clydesdale. We can channel. You're a Clydesdale. Jimmy Roberts. Yeah, I can tell you any Jimmy Roberts story yeah. in his voice, in his character. Because I lived a to, lot of things with that man. To give I don't think BK, I've ever been more embarrassed <laughs> I was going to say, to give BK life. an opportunity to catch his breath on this moment, I'll give you this story. Vitaly and I used to joke with Robert Thomas his rookie year, so last year, about the fact that Joey used to say, like, where do you go to get pants? Like, do your pants even fit? Because he's got a big rear end. And he said, hey, man, that's why I'm in, that's why I'm in the NHL. Yeah. That's the hockey joke. The big ass. The big ass. The big ass in jean stores. Personal, uh personal problem. We had a, a, a quick Jimmy Roberts story for you is uh, one day we were playing the minors. He called us all in one at a time into his office and he'd make you stand there and he'd go, uh, what, 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 what kind of dog are you? And you're like, what? What are you talking about? He go, if you're a dog, what kind of dog are you? Everybody would answer. Some guy would be like, well, I think I'm a golden retriever. You know, I'd like to be a, a poodle or whatever. And so the whole team goes through, and Jimmy writes everybody down their number and what dog they were. And I had said I was a, like a collie, like Lassie, like a big collie family dog. But, you know, I can still protect the house type thing. You know, that guy was trying not to be goofy. But, you know, Jimmy comes in the locker room goes down the list. So we've got a poodle. We've got a French bulldog. We've got Lassie. We've got a German shepherd. Oh, scary guy. You know, all this stuff. And he goes, you know what I don't have? We're all like, I don't have one damn pit bull. <laughs> what a guy. Not one of you guys is a damn pit bull, and that's why we're losing. It was amazing. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service sex line for questions and answers. Uh, let's get to this next one. If you could have a speedboat, a sailboat, a pontoon boat or two jet skis, what would you choose? So I'll read these options one more time. It's a multiple choice for question answer. Mm-hmm. If you could have one of a speedboat, a sailboat, a pontoon boat, 
or two jet skis, which one are you going with, Jamie? Okay, so uh, I've had, well, I wouldn't call it a speedboat, but I've had a boat that's, well, it's not like a yacht or anything. It was a speedboat, okay? I had that. Uh, it was fun. I've had two jet skis. They're fun. But where I am right now in life, one, the sailboat doesn't entice me at all. Too much work, and they ride sideways. I'm just like, nah, I'm not a sailor guy. And, you know, there's not a whole lot of places in mid-Missouri <laughs> where you can be... That, that sailboat on the Mississippi. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. So for me right now, at this point in my life, pontoon boat, baby. We always rent one, too. We get up to the lake, get the family out there, get the cooler, get the music going. Kids are... We stop, anchor up kids, you know, jumping off, swimming. That, to me... That's living right now. The pontoon boat is so far and away the correct answer on this one. I know it sounds silly. Like, if you could get a speedboat, that sounds like a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. I'd love to, I love renting a speedboat and going out to the Lake of the Ozarks and doing your thing, right? That's a good time. Pontoon boats are great, though, because you can take them anywhere. Any lake you can go on with a pontoon mm-hmm. boat. There's so much room for activities on the pontoon boat itself, and it basically serves as a moving dock. Like, you can throw all your beers on there. You can fit a million different people on those things. And you just coast down the river. You coast down the lake. You chill. What more could you ask for? Oh, my goodness. Gives you that feeling, doesn't it, Ribs? It does. I just want to have a, a nice, frosty beer, shades on, chilling on the pontoon. And then the kids will go, Dad, I'm bored! And I'll have to throw the tube out behind, which is why the pontoon is the number one choice. Because you can throw a tube in behind there and you can drag the kids along. And it can be fun. Because once you get into the speedboat, like, you can have some fun. But it is short-lived fun with the the tube behind the boat. We have a texter here. Uh, I don't know if I know this person, but apparently they know me. They said, from the 314, Jamie, you used to take the old Donzi out on Lake Joe and Muskoka. It's a fact. I that did was do the that. most Canadian sentence I've ever heard in yeah. my life. So this guy here, I don't know, this texture guy, girl, uh, it's true. I did take the old Donzi out, and uh, now I only went up to Muskoka a couple of times. One was for Shane Corson's golf tournament up there. Um, but, yeah, that's, a, that's a fact. That is about as Canadian as we can get. How PK. big was your Donzi? <laughs> Extra large. That's what she said. How big was your Donzi? It wasn't my boat. I just rented it. It had the headers on it and everything. It was like that ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. I was like, you feel like a total, like, I'm a guy's guy in this thing. Till they drive it, and you're like, holy crap, this is fast. I said before, I've mentioned this a million times, uh, that I'm I'm not very manly. My dad, on the other hand, is the exact opposite. He's a handyman for his living. Um, he, like, builds houses. He does everything with his hands. Uh, growing up, he had a lake place, and he had a 30-foot profile that we would take out out there. And, man, those things, uh, when you're young and you start going, you get up to, like, 40, 50 on the water, yeah. it feels like you're going 100 miles an hour. Like, the, the world is just going beside you, plus especially those, at the lake. Plus all those videos, like, and I know that's, like, worst-case scenario and being really immature on those boats, but I've seen those videos where you're going fast and you try and make one slight turn, and that puppy is just flipped. That makes me a little concerned. The Lake of the Ozarks is a wild place, man. Oh, yeah. It is a different kind you of gotta place. you got to be careful there. I had a pontoon there last year, and it was a busy weekend. That pontoon, it, it feels like you're in a canoe out there next to some of those other boats. And then we had, like, yeah. the, what are they called? The tri-tune. You know, like, it's even, yeah. like, a bit bigger, a little more stable. Same time, you're like, okay, I'm going to battle. I'm going to just kind of drive along the edges here because if I have to get through the middle here, this is going to feel like the perfect storm. 
Speaking of the lake, I read this earlier today in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and I was a little bit taken aback by it. Do you guys know there's only been one confirmed case from all of that lake stuff that happened a couple of weeks ago? Only one confirmed. Now, some people, you have to be tested in order to be able to have a confirmed case. Yeah. But it... If it continues down this trend from those parties that we all saw, and frankly, I made fun of quite a bit, um, I would think that's a positive sign. That might be some good news for all of us. Let's hope. Let's not. Let's not try to do it over and over and over again. Absolutely. Though. You know. Does that change the sports mentality? Being so cautious about all this, but yet you have all of those people that close I don't to think each it other. Does for the players? I think it might for a fan. I think a fan might be more willing to go out to a game. I think it's changing for the owners. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Do owners try and open owners it? Owners go, hey, yeah. you know what? I'm willing to sacrifice one. But again, <laughs> and that's awful to say that. Yeah, but you know, if it ends up with one case, and, and mean, owners like, hmm. And all I mean is a case. I don't mean a death. Of Nobody's course. willing to sacrifice that. So let me make that clear before my own wife punches me in the face <laughs> when I get home. But I'm just saying that they'd be looking at the percentages of that yeah. and going, huh. I think it, I think we're going to see fans in the stands this fall at college football oh, yeah. and NFL games. And I'm going to be, we'll talk about this a little later. I'm going to be fascinated to see what baseball does. If we get to the fall and you're seeing college football and NFL games with fans in the stands like and you playoffs. get into October and you're playing the postseason games, then I'll be like, oh, you know, we said we weren't going to have fans in the stands, but uh, time to check over there with the Chiefs. They time got 60,000 fans in the stands. Might be worth it for us to have 20. Time to get that 70% rickets. Oh, that's right. Had good right? point. <laughs> good one. The losses won't be quite as biblical <laughs> <Right>. anymore. <laughs> With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. It's 1214. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next, let's catch up with our friend Joey Vitale. What's going on in the Vitale household right now? We'll ask him next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. ESPN. It's time for a Blues Report with Joey Vitale. You automatically look 15% tougher if you have a beard. Brought to you by The Electrical Connection. Orange and green in the shape of carrots. When you need quality electrical work for your home or business, visit electricalconnection.org. <laughs> this is silky smooth. Let's go, Blues! Let's go, Blues! Let's go, Blues! Let's go, Blues! With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by Joey Vitale, the Blues analyst for 101 ESPN, an all-around swell guy. Joey, what's good, man? How you doing today? BK, what's up? Swell. You know, swell's not a, not a word we use enough. I like that word, swell. <laughs> this is what I'm here for, Joey. The other day, I brought—I don't remember what I said, swell, but Joey. I brought back another word that uh, I'm pretty sure the over-under on the age of somebody who would say it was 75. So this is what I'm here for. Yeah, that's definitely an old one, but I tell you what, I'm kind of looking forward to using that. Hey, Joe, how you doing? I'm, I'm swell. <laughs> swell day. You don't hear about it too often. <laughs> so, Joey, the other day I was talking to Jamie, and I pulled up his hockey reference page, and we were going through some of the games and some of the numbers that he had. I want to do that with you really quickly, if you don't mind, because I'm oh, looking at it. Won't it won't take that long. It won't take that long. Hey, I had to go through it. You're going to go through it, Joey. <laughs> so, Joey, do you consider the 2010 10 or the 2011 season as your rookie year? Jeez, that's a good question. I, you know, for my first game in 2010, but it wasn't my first season, was 2011. 
You know, if you had to ask me, if you say rookie year, I'm going to have to say 2011. I don't know if I consider the call-up for the 8-9 games, whatever that was in 2010. I don't know if I consider that my rookie season. Maybe that was just some rookie games. And, and, and then the other thing, too, you know, I think whatever, whatever year you have your rookie party, that should be considered your rookie year. Wait, what? Yeah, that's Hold a good, on. You know, that's a good point. We'll get. I need th- more on this. All right, hang on. We'll get there. <laughs> I did the same thing, Joey, because I had a, my first year. I had like a, a handful of games, and then the next year I kind of stuck around longer. So I, I went with like you the second year, and yes, once you have your rookie party, that's your. That's your rookie season. So, BK, I know you want to ask something. Yeah, I've about got that. some questions right. uh, for both of you. I'd love to hear stories from you guys going back and forth on this. What What is exactly a rookie party? Oh boy. Okay, come on. <laughs> is this a podcast? Are we on one on one? We've got a dump button platform right here. We got a dump button. Oh, listen. Hey, uh, Riz is probably not. Of course, Riz is a little bit. Uh, no disrespect, Riz is a little bit older than me, hey, so whoa. I feel like. Listen, I, I had a rookie party when they still had cell phones and social media. So as out of hand as it got, we also had to be kind of careful. We had some we had some high profile athletes on our team, but it still got crazy. Uh, you know, most of it I, I can't probably say over the air, but I will say that the bill does get absolutely insane. What are those? What are those cognac shots? It's like Louis the Thirteenth. I don't even know what they're called. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know what I mean? So it's rookie duty at the end of the night. You got to give everyone on the team, you got to pay for a shot. They're like 160 bucks a oh shot. My God. And I just remember that one of the last things I remember that night was Aaron Asham taking like a sip of it and then kind of downing it and then swishing it around his mouth and just spitting it out saying, oh, this is disgusting. And here I am, just there goes another 165 <laughs> bucks right there. I mean, uh, the good news is um, the bill at the end of the night, as, as hard as it is to handle, we had some good rookies that year. We had split it four ways, but Sid and Gino actually picked in or pitched in rather an extra six or seven grand. So that kind of helped out, kind of offset a lot of the cost for the rookies. Yeah, that was the same my rookie year. We uh, we had great veterans. You know, we had some awesome guys, and they basically said, "Hey, listen, you're going to pay about seven grand each, okay? And the mm-hmm. rest, whatever is after that, we'll pick it up." I don't know who picked it up. If it was Holly, if it was you know Fierzy or Al or anybody of those guys. But my strategy going into the rookie party, it's like some guys get a little depressed, right? Because they're like, "Oh my god, this is going to be expensive," and they're and my strategy was like it is on like Donkey Kong. Yeah. I'm paying for this thing anyways. Yeah. And guess who's going to have the most fun? <laughs> me. Guess who's yeah. going to order the Louis Thirteen? It's going to be me. Why? I'm paying for it anyways. So I just, I mean, the leash came off and I was running. I think halfway through it, the guys were like, "What is wrong with this guy?" Uh, yeah, it's so funny you say that because I remember when that first seafood stack came out. We had our, our the Ocean Prime in Denver. Right on that great Larimer Street, oh, right baby. The Center. great spot. I remember that first seafood sack, and you're right, uh, Ribs, because your rookie season, you go out with the team. Usually, the rookies, you know, it's like, it's like when you go out to dinner with friends. No one wants to kind of, no one wants to kind of jump in. Uh, the rookie's always the guy that. You know, does everyone, did everyone get a little little shrimp? Okay, I, I'm, I'm gonna go and get a shrimp now. Yeah, yeah. But with that night, it was the opposite. It was just like uh, I'm handful. I'm, I'm literally wrist deep in oysters and clams. I'm shoving my face with whatever. Not only because we're paying for it, but I gotta have uh, something to soak up this alcohol. Uh, I had the elbows high going to around the table, like get out of my way. And, and there were times actually a couple of veterans were like, "Okay, hey, slow down here a little bit." <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> <Yeah. like>. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, another thing, they made us all rookies dress up that year. I think it was close to Halloween. So I was a cowboy. And I remember Sid told me, he's like, oh, I'm a cowboy. I got some cowboy boots. And we're in Denver. And I remember I went to a cowboy boot shop. Like, I get, you know, Sid saying, I'm cowboy boots. I'm going cowboy boots. You know, it's just, it's just kind of the way it is. <laughs> and I go into this shop. And these, have you guys ever bought a freaking pair of cowboy boots? These things are like seven hundred dollars. Yeah, like, they're no joke. Unbelievable! They have like rhinestones on them. They're the only ones that could fit. So anyway, I get to the party and I'm the cowboy. There's like a, a Lance Armstrong character or someone else, and I'm I'm the prayer guy. Everyone had to do kind of a spoof or something for the veterans and the team, and I'm the prayer guy. So I stand up on my chair. I'm like at least thirty beers in, and I got like. I got, like, my cowboy boots up on the table, like, heel up, kind of doing this twisty thing with my big belt buckle. I take off my cowboy hat, and I start preaching to the good Lord in a cowboy voice. And, listen, I'm a good Catholic boy. I, I probably should have done that. I should have been more respectful. But we had the place absolutely in tears. And, God, it was a fun night. Good times. Blues analyst Joey Vitale joining us here on Ribs of BK on 101 ESPN. So this is something that happens every year annually, annually at the end of the season, Joey. Well, it happens every year, and it's annually, uh, annually, definitely. <laughs> yeah, annually. Thanks, thanks, Joey. I appreciate that. Um, thanks for the clarification. I think that's no what problem. I said. Yeah, no, it wasn't. Uh, it happens every year, but it kind of varies. It varies, you know. So uh, I tell you, the teams get the schedule. Rich, you remember this. The schedule comes out in August, right? And you kind of look at all the dates. You look at your road trips. Well, we're gone here for a week. Oh, honey, we're going to Western Canada this time. Oh, dang, we're not going to be home for Christmas or whatever. You kind of go through it. One of the first two, well, I always say the two things, the two things that the captains and all the players look at right away is um, when is rookie party going to be? Uh, that's to me, is always number one. And number two is when's Halloween party. Those are the two parties that oh, yeah. every team just loves. The Halloween party and, and the rookie party. Halloween's easy. It's close to Halloween. Sometimes it's two weeks out. Sometimes it's a day of. Depends on the schedule. And then the other thing is, boys, when is a good road trip to fit in the rookie party? You start going to the Florida. You start going to the Vegas. And, hey, look at, look at this little trip in California. Two days between San Jose and L.A. So the boys get all the kind of amped up and the juice is flowing based off, okay, rookie party is going to be there. So to answer your question, it kind of varies. Uh, and I think for every team it is still now. Sometimes it happens in October if you get luck at the draw where you're down in Tampa and playing the Florida Panthers four days later. Uh, sometimes it doesn't happen until, you know, end of March where you get a great California swing. And it's just kind of the, the cards kind of fall that way, too. So it just really depends on the schedule team per team. Yeah, and also, too, BK, last little bit of information. The coaches, guess what? They're in on this, too. Oh, okay? really? Oh, yeah. They, oh, yeah. They don't usually attend the dinner, although I did have that happen one time in my career. But <laughs> the coaches don't usually attend the dinner, but they definitely want to be kept in the loop as to where you're thinking about it so that they can prepare accordingly and they want to make sure that it gets done right. There's ample time. And then, of course, like Jimmy Roberts used to say back in the day, you want to dance, you got to pay the fiddler. So you know oh, the next right. day is going to be a little bit of a workout. We're going to get that out of you just a little bit after. Final follow-up, what's the, what's the number one city for the two of you? What's number one on the, the rankings list of the cities to have this rookie party in? Oh. <sighs> Ribs, you have one on the top of your head. I have one. I certainly go ahead. Yeah, I listen. I was around for quite a while, so I got to see a few a few of these things. Um, L. A. When we were in L. A., man, it was just on. Like it was a whole other world. We had some guys uh, with some great connections in, in the Hollywood world and with the restaurants, and um, it was a lot of fun. So L. A. is probably number one. We had a good one in Vancouver as well, um, but yeah, L. A. to me is number one. 
Yeah, I think I, I want to stick with the beach theme for sure and, and where it's warm. Uh, we had a great one in San Jose, a one I'll never forget. But the best one that I ever was a part of was I think my th- uh, second or third year when the Penguins were down in Fort Lauderdale. We played the Tampa Bay Lightning on like a Tuesday, and then we didn't play the Panthers till like a Saturday. We had like four full days off at, at South Beach in that kind of area. Went down to Miami. Uh, Robert Bortuzzo, the current defense in here for the Blues, he, I mean, he was in a speedo like for three straight days <laughs> with Bo Bennett. Remember Bo Bennett? I he do. The Blues for a little bit. Him and Bo were rookies at the same time. We made him put on these like they weren't thongs, but what, what's it called these days? Where like girls kind of like the, it's, it's not a thong, but like the majority of the butt cheek is shown. I don't know what those are called. We call um, that appreciate it. <laughs> I don't know what those are called, nor do I care, but um, but I'm trying to give people a good, a good... Anyway, so Bort had just the bottom half of that on with Bo Bennett, and we had a guy named Sam, Simone Dupre, another one up there, and we just played beach volleyball, we barbecued, we just literally, you felt like it was spring break and you were in high school again. Joey? This has been an absolute pleasure. I think we asked one question and then we just went from there, and I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Um, I appreciate you hopping on with us today. Hey, I'm really glad we do it weekly, not annually, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Me too, Joey. (laughs) Joey Vitale, ladies and gentlemen, joining us here on Ribs and VK on 101 ESPN. I had no idea that there was such a thing as the rookie party, and now it's the number one question I'm going to want to ask every Blues player. It's your rite of passage, man. So it's like the end for 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 hockey. I was I was in a fraternity in college. It's like the end of your pledgeship, essentially, right? Pretty much. I mean, like I've never been celebration. in a so I don't really know. I'm trying to remember, and I might be mistaken on this, but I thought Robert Thomas's last year was in Vegas. Oh, I'm sure I feel it was. like that's got to be the I'm number one pick pr- now. I'm pretty right? sure it was in Vegas because I'm pretty sure they talked an awful lot about it when they got back to St. Louis from that road now, trip. Now, loose lips, right? Come on, Very Alex. Very loose lips. They, they, they had uh, PlayStation parties in their... Hotel room. Ryan Reeves said I heard he does they had all a day. Tournament. Oh, yeah. They had a tournament. Well, why do you think he just won $1,000 with Kairu and Dunn, right? There you go. That's right. No, but the rookie party was awesome. It's the moment you feel as a rookie like you finally made it, right? And, and it may be short lived and you may be gone the next year, but at that point for that season, you feel like you've made it. And once you pay your tab, you know what? You're done. That's it. And, and it's funny because certain teams, like if you get traded and you're a young guy, Guys will double check and be, hey, are you a rookie? And they'll be like, well, you know, and they'll go, did you pay for a rookie party already in like Boston? And the guy will be like, uh, yeah, I did. Well, guess what? Guys will pick up the phone and be like, hey, did, did so and so pay for his rookie party? And if you didn't, you get, you know, a little bit of grief yeah. for it. But most of the time, guys uh, have paid and then the checks out and. Just a good time. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I enjoy the hell out of that conversation with Joey Vitale. I love having him on each and every day. Thursday right here on Ribs and BK. With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, which Cardinal has the most to prove in 2020? We'll dive into that question on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. I've had a blast today. I don't know why, but for some reason, this show has been a lot of fun. So let's bring it down a little bit, if, oh, if you will. Oh, no. Which, <laughs> which Cardinals player has the most to prove in 2020? That's a question that Buster only asked on ESPN.com earlier oh, Buster, today. Huh? Oh, Buster. All right. 
I guess he had some time after uh, mowing his lawn. Yeah, he decided, <laughs> decided he was going to be able to yeah, write an article this time around. cutting his own grass, though, too. Especially a guy like Buster Olney cutting his own grass. Well, he comes from a milk farm, I so know. of course. Of course he's going to be able to cut his own grass. That's yeah. a point of pride for a man like I, that. I just said you got to respect it. I, you certainly do. 100%. Speaking of respect, a couple of guys that are trying to gain that back this year are Andrew Miller and Dexter Fowler. And those were the choices for Buster Olney. He says that those are the two guys that he would pick from the Cardinals with the most to prove this season. Now, there is one notable name that was not mentioned as one of those two, of course, and that would be Matt Carpenter. And I think for a lot of our audience, that's the guy that has the most to prove this year. I thought his explanation on Andrew Miller, though, was really interesting. So he says that Andrew Miller has a lot on his plate. Between staying prepared and serving as an influential voice in the Players Union, St. Louis has a $12 million option on Miller's deal for 2021. If salaries and payrolls or our world back, it's possible the Cardinals are actually going to decline that option unless Miller absolutely crushes it in his performance this season as a 35-year-old reliever. So that was his explanation on Andrew Miller. I'll tell you this right now. Given the financials, I'll be stunned, absolutely stunned, if Andrew Miller is back on a $12 million contract next year. For sure. I don't think that they're going to be picking that up. But I will ask this question of you, Jamie. Who do you think is the Cardinal with the most to prove in 2020? I, I mean, look at I, I. I can't even imagine how Matt Carpenter is not the guy picked by Buster Olney. I mean, it, when you had this topic come up, I'm like, is there anybody else with more to prove than Matt Carpenter? Yeah, I understand the Andrew Miller uh, situation, and I agree that I think that that's the price tag's going to be too high, and the the Cardinals have depth at the pitcher position, and I think that they'll be just fine in that role, especially since he is 35. But, yeah, and Dexter Fowler's another interesting one, too. But to me, guys, it's Matt Carpenter. Flat out. It's Matt. Well, who did we talk about all last year about, oh, my God, what are we going to do with this guy? He's got to get better. How is he going to improve? Are the, What are the Cardinals going to do? Are they going to make a trade? Are they going to bench him? Is Tommy, uh, Tommy Edmond going to play ahead of him? So, to me, it's a no-brainer that Matt Carpenter, by far, has the most to prove. I think that's part of the reason why maybe Matt Carpenter isn't the guy to Buster Olney because they know that Tommy Edmonds there because they know that they have depth there. But I mean, I guess when it comes to but most, he still improved, has to prove it. Not like Tommy Edmonds going to prove it. Yeah, but I, I don't know how long of a leash that guy has because Tommy Edmonds there to where you don't give him the whole season to prove it. Like Andrew Miller, Andrew Miller might be your closer starting the season if Jordan Hicks isn't available and Giovanni Gallegos is that one as well. You know, even with Dexter Fowler, he talks about how that outfield depth is there. Mm-hmm. Let me give you guys one that, that Buster didn't mention. Miles Michaelis. Michaelis got that extension last training camp or spring training. Um, you know, he came off that Cy Young performance. Last year it was good, but it wasn't as good as his Cy Young performance. But he's going to be getting paid kind of like what Dexter Fowler was paid. Obviously not as much, but he is paid like a number two pitcher. Part of me wonders if he's got a lot to prove because there's a lot of depth in the starting rotation. I think yeah, he's got a lot to too. prove, but what's yeah. what's the downside there? I think he's going to be in the rotation for the next few years no matter what right. because of that contract that you referenced. They, maybe maybe it was too early. That's not really the conversation we're having here, but I think he I think his spot is solidified, right? I think the guys with the let's put let's phrase it a little differently. Who are the guys with the most to prove and the most to lose, right? If you kind of if you have the 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 ceiling floor argument here. I think there's another guy that we have not brought up yet, and somebody on the text line, 65780, is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. What about Harrison Bader? 
That's a guy that I would throw into this mix. Yeah, Harrison Bader, two years ago, was thought of as a potential stalwart in the outfield. They, we basically here in St. Louis were like, hey, that guy's perfect for St. Louis. He plays his butt off. Mm-hmm. He's an unbelievable defender. He is incredible on the Bates paths. And then last year, he just he struck out too much. The, he the uses the wrong end of the play. bat, I believe, is what happens there. There we go. <laughs> this year, he needs to use the right end of the bat. Correct. And so I think for Dex, or for um, for Bader, we're entering a season where if he ends up being the guy that he was more as a rookie, we could see him establish himself as the starting center fielder for years to come. And if he's not that guy, if he goes back to what he was last year and he hits 200 again, I think he's a guy that very well could end up on the bench by the end of the season. I agree because the depth, but I also see it from the angle of the Cardinals view Harrison Bader like they view Colton Wong, where it's just a slow progress to get that bat going. His defense, I think, is going to keep him on that team and keep him as the center fielder, but the offense they're hoping picks up like Colton Wong's picked up. Okay, so let me ask you both this question, and right back at you with this one, is how much patience do the Cardinals really have though? Because what's their number one thing that they need? They need offense. They need bats. So, to flip it back at you, how much patience do they actually have? No matter how good he is defensively, like at some point, they need somebody to step up here. Matt Carpenter who, you know, obviously had a bad season. We're talking about him. Tommy Freeze pops, texts me on the side, asking about maybe Carpenter won't choke up on his bat this season. (laughs) I hate that move, too. Freeze pops, I hate that move. But then back to Bader, who didn't hit the ball very well either. Now you've got two guys, and then go down the line. There's not a lot of heavy bats right now that we're looking at. Right, and I would say to that, the the depth at the off-field position, because we look at Harrison Bader and say, yeah, he needs to improve. But I think Dexter Fowler's that glaring hole before Harrison Bader is because Dylan Carlson's there. Dylan Carlson's going to be Dexter Fowler's spot if Dexter Fowler doesn't perform. And that's interesting, though, because they have, and Stalter said this a few week, a few months ago, and he, he got a little bit of uh, blowback on it. They have more invested. And when I say that, I mean they have more invested monetarily in Dexter Fowler than they do in Harrison Bader. Mm-hmm. Harrison Bader was developed throughout the organization, mm-hmm. of course, so they have something invested in him, but that investment, we rarely see teams give up on that money this early as they will potentially if they have to give up on Dexter Fowler before Harrison Bader. If both yeah. of them aren't hitting early in the season, then I, who comes out of the lineup first? I think Fowler does because Bader's because the defense? at least the defense. I mean, if you look at it, Bader starts in that outfield for you in Mike Schilt's way. He plays about five innings when they get the lead. Then it's pull him out. Or if you're behind him, sorry, you pull him out. You try and put a bat in there. If you're ahead, he's the one that's going in as a yeah. defensive replacement yeah. so you can keep that lead. And you got to look at the runway, too, for these guys, right? Dexter Fowler's how old? Uh, thirty mid thirties. Yeah, so he's on the way down. Harrison Bader just kind of starting out, right? Like he's a younger yeah. guy. So, and they're hoping he gets to Colton Wong's level. And I'm not sure where Colton Wong's age was last year, but he was in the league for a good five years before he hit that. Okay, this guy can be somebody that moves around. And you know, they've moved Harrison Bader up and down to AAA and in Major League to try and get that batting going. I think they're going to hold on to him as much as possible. Moral of the story: We've mentioned like six or There's seven names yeah. Yeah. that you could legitimately. A couple you. more that if we really oh, yeah. wanted to dissect it, you know? Yeah, someone said Alex Reyes on the text line. That's, That's another one that really has a lot to lose. Yeah, th- this is a team that has a lot of those guys that are kind of, it seems like the Cardinals are saying, listen, we're going to give you one more chance. 
And if you're able to prove yourself this year, we're going to ride with you for the long term. If you're not, though, it's got to be it's got to be a move. Mm-hmm. If you if you're Dexter Fowler and you don't hit this year, you're probably going into next year as a fourth outfielder. If you're Matt Carpenter and you don't hit this year, you might have to be starting on the bench next yeah, season. Defensive. And we're probably not going to pick up that option in 2022. I guess it is a lot of guys that have a lot at stake this season. I just I hope we're able to see. A season. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. The junk drawer is next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. He's former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's go into the junk drawer. I'm going to get things started today. So Alrighty. We've had a lot of talk about, you know, the coronavirus, COVID-19, mm-hmm. and we're all hoping that, uh, you know, we're able to get treatments and vaccines, and hopefully we start down that path. I saw Anthony Fauci the other day said he expects that we're going to be able to have something by the end of the year. That's fantastic news. Fauci, man. <laughs> Fauci. I haven't heard from him in a while. Fauci, yeah. Um, Is he still alive? It, it, <laughs> what? That's not nice. That was, to, to clarify, I... Thought somebody was alive earlier that, that is not, and that's why he said that. Uh, for any of you listeners that were not you get listening him at the time. So, um, we all need treatments, right? We need there to be a therapeutic. And we've heard a lot of different drugs that have been mentioned as potential healing powers for this COVID-19 virus. Mm-hmm. You know what they apparently did not check? That they are now going to test mm. for COVID-19. Cannabis. No, although I did see a story about that recently as okay. well. It's good. I was going to say, okay, because I'm willing to try if that's going to help. How about something that we all take pretty regularly? I'm going to blow back oh. by what you just said. What? Ibuprofen. Ibuprofen is apparently right. going to be tested yeah. as a coronavirus treatment. I wonder how that would work. It doesn't. How did we not test this early on? They're like, you know what? Let's go to the hydroxychloroquine. That's what we're going to go with. That just sounds like poison to me. Yeah. And I know it's not. And I don't know. I actually have no idea what it is. But it's because sounds... it sounds like chloroform. Yeah. Well, well. Whoa. Hey. Nobody Whoa. at any point was like, hey, let's test all this stuff that we've already got on the shelves everywhere first. See if the, you know, Tylenol, Mucinex, Ibuprofen, Adv- all these different things. Let's see if any of these can work and then work our way up to the stuff Ex-lax. that nobody knows how to say. Uh, don't think that one would do. You can't clear your system you. out of coronavirus. Yeah, it's a crappy one. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, ibuprofen, huh? Might as well. Well, we'll try it out, I guess. Next I thing know. we'll test is orange juice. Vitamin D might clear yourself up for something. You could see. You can orange juice. Vitamin oh, is D? It? Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was D. I was like, uh, Are you yeah, sure? Okay. Sun, sunlight's vitamin D, right? Yeah. 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 Orange juice is vitamin K. C. I think it's K, right? Uh, so, why do they call Sunny Delight Sunny D? Doesn't that have vitamin D in it? Yeah, because there's a sun on it. Sunny, sunny delight. delight. Sunny D is sunny the. Oh, D. So it's not vitamin D. No, no, oh, no. Well, but I've been I, lied you know to what? my entire entire childhood. I really respect your effort though on that one. I didn't. Yeah, you might want to shut your mic off. Okay. Oh. So, anyways, uh, <laughs> being that it's 2020 and things have been going well so well for everybody uh, this year, uh, we have something that we could look forward to. Okay. Yeah. Let's hear it. Yeah. It's a uh, stadium-sized asteroid. Oh. That's making awesome. its uh, way towards Earth. It's uh, approximately 3 million miles away. 
So, yeah. So now with everything going on, there is a uh, apparently. Anyways, I mean, I have to take NASA's work. We're so, a pretty reputable organization, I so. right? They're going to outer space. I don't know if you yeah. Heard. Maybe that's why. Maybe well, no. International space was station. It, maybe they went up there to find to do some pre scouting. Someone to call Bruce Willis. They don't have. Uh, they don't have any game tape on this asteroid, so they had to get up there and get Someone a little pre Bruce Willis. So I we, wish have, we had him right now. Me too. Well, we do have him. He's not dead. That's true. He's just not available. He's not available. And, oh, that's right. It was a movie. Darn it. Wait. I thought it was a documentary. Yeah. Wait, what? Are you serious? Arma? Geddon? I think it was a docuseries. Docuseries. For okay. sure. So we've got a pandemic. Um, we've got racial demonstrations. We have no baseball. We have... Now an asteroid coming at us and murder hornets. There's and more. The, for the first time in 17 years, the cicadas are coming out. Okay, good. But, but this is like an Things infomercial. Oh, oh, wait. Okay, good. There's more. So there's one stadium-sized asteroid. Um, there are three others the size of planes and one the size of a house also making their way towards Earth over the next few days. So, awesome. shelter in place has a whole new meaning now, right? <laughs> like, I'm going to be looking for a bomb shelter. I was going to say, bunkers it. have been in the news lately. I think mm-hmm. I'm going to find one. Those <laughs> end of days, believe, uh, those those conspiracy theorists, those people are probably having a field day right now. That thing at Home Depot that they have one of on display, it's like all cast iron bomb shell that they sell. Like they, they buy one, and they hope somebody buys it. Guess what? I'm backing up the truck today, and I'm buying a bomb shelter, and uh-huh. I don't care if the neighbors think it looks funny in my backyard. I'll see you there. You know how you said that you're, this is your wife's Super Bowl? Mm-hmm. Like all of this going on right now because she's a bit of a germaphobe. Yes. Your word's not mine. I'm, her, I'm sure she's a wonderful woman. Um, <laughs> but I feel like that would be your Super Bowl. The moment that you're able yeah. to actually go purchase that and put Bomb it in your backyard. And just like, I'm in. sit in it I'm and in. wait. Yeah. I wonder if you get internet service, though. i got to make sure of that. Uh, I'm not going to just sit in there and stare at the wall. Then it might feel like prison. I'm don't not really get me started on internet service. I was say, I doubt you would in a bomb shelter. I mean, unless you're going to install Wi-Fi yeah, in that bomb shelter. How will I know when to come out? See, this is you a problem. Don't. You don't. This is a problem I'm going to have. Have, have you gotten to the episode said. of the... <laughs> That's a good point. You got into the episode of The Office BK where, where Dwight tests all the uh, Armageddon food that he has each year? No. Oh, wait till you get to it. It's phenomenal. Okay. You have a ribs because you don't have any taste and you don't watch The Office. I don't watch We've the slowed office. down on The Office I'm lately. scouting bomb shelters. Thank you. <laughs> There's been too many episodes of my 600-pound life that I've been introduced to. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in favor Yikes. of this switch in programming. So. Yikes. Go back to the junk drawer where uh, we all know that there's been a lot of Zoom meetings of late. And it was a matter of time before there was something that went terribly wrong with some of these Zoom meetings. We saw early on there were some people that recorded some things that they weren't expecting. You know, a woman was recording while her man, her, her husband was getting out of the shower. Which I still don't understand why you're Zooming from the bathroom. Yeah, but anyways. What are you doing? Sorry, continue. There, there was another one where, you know, a... a a broadcaster was broadcasting from home on Zoom, and then the mistress walks behind him, and suddenly he's found out for having cheated. Once again, not much thought going into that detail. Well, there's been another one of these sorts of circumstances. A Mexican lawmaker accidentally showed up topless in a government Zoom meeting, but later insisted that she was not ashamed of having shown her body. So she was Zooming with other fellow employees and reporters. Hmm. When she shows up and she decides to change, she didn't realize, apparently, allegedly, that it was recording. And so she went full-blown, all top-off, 
everything hanging out on this Zoom meeting. Do we have a video of that? Uh, we do. It is blurred out, just so everybody is clear. What are we uh, talking about here? Show you this here, Jamie, if you would like. look for professional purposes only. That was what it looked like on the Zoom meeting, as this woman is broadcasting to her and about 15 others, it appears. Okay, well, first of all, congratulations to her. She seems to be operating with quite a bit of... Um, Fun there. Uh, but now, that being said, is that an HR violation, do you think? Like, we may have to get Christy in here to clarify some things because I'm, I'm looking at it going, she's at her home, but it's an office meeting. So, like, is that like being in international waters where you can't get charged for something because you're not really in the workplace? I don't know. I feel like this, I think eventually intent has to come into this, right? And I think for this, the intent appears to be, and I'm going to have to take her at her word. I don't know very much about this woman, considering she's a lawmaker in Mexico. Oh, um, lawmaker, too. But right. it, it appears that her intent was not to show her breasts on the Zoom meetings. Well, based on that everyone's picture, intent. based on that picture I'm looking at, her intent is certainly not to hide them. You guys know my saying, better topless than bottomless. That's what I always say. That's a good point. We did have a bottomless guy, too. That's one day, remember, in his junk. underwear. That's junk. Yeah. Yeah. It would be. Let's get out of the junk drawer. That's Jamie Rivers. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rivers and VK on 101 ESPN. We have some legitimately breaking news in both the NBA and some news in the NHL that I want to get Jamie's reaction to. We'll get to it next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and VK podcast on 101 ESPN. Defenseman Jamie Rivers. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Some breaking news coming out right now from both the NBA and NHL. I'll get the NBA's out of the way first. The NBA Board of Governors has voted to approve the league's 22-team format to restart the 2019-2020 season down in Orlando. That is according to Adrian Wojnarowski. The vote was 29-1, to 1, so nearly unanimous. Who was the one team? To bring back. It's got to be the Knicks, right? We can all agree that it had to have been always the Knicks. I feel there is no reporting on this that has been done. I would be stunned if it was not the Knicks that voted against yeah, that. That's total so James Dolan. Good. Yes, it is. What, that guy's such a good guy. <laughs> He's a real, real treat. Uh, so that's the NBA news. They have agreed to their format to return. It's it's kind of amazing, Jamie, that the NBA was able to, and we talked about this at the time, they basically did everything behind the scenes. There was mm-hmm. very little public negotiation. There were a few. Last week was really the first week that we've seen it where they said, okay, here's the formats that it could be. They took those behind the scenes again then, and they discussed it amongst themselves. And they said, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is the format that we're going with. It's going to be 22 teams. It's going to be this play-in with the eight seed, and there's going to be eight regular season games before mm-hmm. that to finish out this regular season. So that is how the NBA is going to return. Now, the bigger news that will affect people locally is what the NHL has just announced. This comes from Elliot Friedman, uh, who says that the NHL playoffs will not be bracketed. They will instead be reseeded after each and every round. The qualifying round is going to be a best of five, but every other round in the NHL postseason, if and when they return, will be a best of seven. Good. So we get to keep the structure of what is a typical Stanley Cup playoffs. And 
what I wanted, which I really like. I'm glad they're doing this because I think it is going to incentivize teams in this round robin that we've talked so much about is that after each round, it will be reseeded. So the top seed that remains will play the lowest Mm -hmm. seed that remains in each and every round. So, for instance, as an example here, if the Blues end up going through this round robin of the top four teams within their conference that they're going to play three games there and they go 3-0, they end up with the number one seed. And let's say the Blackhawks win their play-in series. The Blackhawks would be the lowest seed that could advance. The Blues would then play the Blackhawks in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. God, I'd like to smash those guys. God, that'd be fun. That would be fun. Although I don't think the Blackhawks would get in. But no, it's the way to do it. It's the way to do it. I mean, why would you not do it that way? I don't know. I, this, all along, you know this. You guys have been here, and I, I, I don't think I've changed my tune on this at all. I've always said that I really feel like the actual playoff should be traditional to where you get your, yep. your four series in because that's the one unique thing about the Stanley Cup that I think probably globally is agreed upon is that it is the hardest trophy to win. The battles that go on there, the four out of seven, the road to the cup, like it's just there's a certain badge of honor that goes along with winning the cup. And and that's the thing for me that makes a big difference. And yeah, reseed them. If you're a successful team, if you end up doing well, you should be rewarded, in my opinion. Well, th- look, this takes away any excuse of there needs to be an asterisk next to this championship this year because it is back to the original format once you get through those 24 teams you're back to the original 16 you're back to the format of the best of seven it's going to be the toughest trophy to win and it's going to be even harder because once we like we've talked about weeks prior everyone's healthy so this is the way to do it and i'm glad the nhl decided upon this because other any other way would have been the argument of well it's not really a championship yeah i agree i think they did this right and i'm really glad they did the reseeding i'm really glad that You're they really decided happy about to do that, this eh? reseeding. i i am I, because had, i think he had shirts printed did it reseed <laughs> well they're if, on order if you didn't do it this way and you ended up just going with the typical bracket it it could have ended up screwing some of these teams right oh, you, for sure you go after these top seeds and you want to get the higher seed and you could end up going up against a team that is a higher seed than what the lower seeds end up playing so i i, I do think it incentivizes in this round robin and i can think whatever i want about it this is the format that we're going with so i'm i'm here for it the Blues are going to go 3-0 and in that round robin. Damn They're going to get the number one seed. They're going to be rewarded for what they did in the regular season because they're so damn good, and they're going to be great in the playoffs as well. And in that round robin, they'll earn it once again. And then they're going to play the lowest seed. And I think that's a good thing. I think that because you should be rewarded for what you're able to do in that round robin. If it matters, and they're telling us that it matters, mm-hmm. then you should incentivize people by doing this. You should incentivize them by saying, whoever the number one seed is, you get the lowest remaining team, no matter where they're coming from in that bracket. With all this news coming out here right now, BK breaking news, text line 65780. We got one here from the 573 says, hey, uh, if basketball, hockey and presumably NFL and NCAA football can figure this out, what in the bleep is wrong with Major League Baseball? And I'll say this, that as you were talking about the NBA at the beginning of the segment, I thought the same thing. And you know what else I thought? How quietly the NBA and the NHL have done this. And you haven't seen anybody out on Twitch, anybody doing whatever. There's been no, like, banter, negative banter between the players and the league. Now, in fairness, 
They're only playing playoffs. They don't have a full regular season. To my knowledge, NBA players have received all of their money for the season. I, that, I could be wrong, but to my knowledge, that's the case with the NHL. Every player has received all their paychecks. Their last one has been held in an escrow, and, and the players have done that on purpose just to see where revenues end up here so they can maybe help manipulate the cap in their favor. But Major League Baseball... They're not there. They're, they got a whole bunch of runway ahead of them. And so in fairness to baseball, I think they're, they're working with a different animal than NBA and NHL. Money. Money's the yep. difference. Um, they've got to figure out the money, the split of the money, how they're going to be paid. That's the difference for baseball. And I, I will say this, though, because it kind of goes two ways. On one hand, that is the thing that is the biggest hurdle that baseball has to clear that these other sports that are returning do not. The NBA is returning for eight regular season games. They've essentially been paid as well. They've had 90% of their pay from the season has already been paid out for them. Same thing for hockey, right? They've basically been paid for the season. Major League Baseball has been paid their advance, but their salaries really haven't been paid yet for the large, vast majority of them. It's going to be something that we talk about eventually with the NFL as well. If they're going to talk about moving forward, the cap either staying flat or potentially going down, there's going to be discussions, and we've already seen some of the reporting coming out, that maybe they have to talk about a pay cut for this season as well. So we'll see that there. That's the biggest difference. I think you can also argue the other side of this as well, though. If the NBA and the NHL have determined as players we're willing to come back to finish out this season for the good of the sport despite the fact that we're not going to be paid for this because playoffs is not where these players make their money i think a lot of people think that they do but they don't if they're willing to do that for the good of the game and to go out there and win a title and baseball meanwhile is out here talking about hundreds of millions of dollars i think that could be another bad look for baseball as well yeah. these guys are willing to do it for nothing essentially other than the potential to win a cup or to win an nba title meanwhile baseball is not willing to do it despite the fact that they could actually get paid for what they're about to do so it, it cuts both sides it's a double edged sword but that's that's both why there is a big hurdle and also why it's so frustrating that they're not able to get it done you know something else that's going to make mlb look really bad if they can't figure this out is the fact that the NHL has a CBA negotiation already coming up, and we heard Matthew Schneider and Bill Daly both talk about that those guys are already having conversations. Yeah, they're already at the table. NBA's got a CBA coming up. They're having conversations. NFL has a CBA coming up that I think they've completed, or they're still having the conversations about. There's still some bumps in the road on that one, but, but at least there's... Three, yeah are having conversations. We're not. We're having a conversation about this season for Major League Baseball. We're not even having the CBA conversation yet, so that's going to make things look worse. Yeah, I just I worry for baseball uh, from that point. And I'll tell you what, thinking about this more and more, when I go back to the NFL, I'm concerned for the NFL. I am, because I know, in my opinion, the owners are going to want to push through. And we've heard some organizations already talk about how they're going to put people in the crowd. Like, we're going to have fans. I don't know how many, but we're going to figure it out. We're going to have fans. And I'm anxious to see as it gets closer, as it becomes reality, how these players feel about it. And if there's anything that I've learned, me personally over the years, is that when there's a problem in the NFL... Like, it's a problem. There's a big problem, and there is a lot of nasty dialogue that goes back and forth. And the NFLPA doesn't have a great working relationship with the NFL owners. So this, to me, although we look at it as, oh, this is a done deal. They're going to play this, that, the other. They're the farthest one away. As it gets closer, 
I'm really anxious to see how the temperature is controlled in that situation. He's Jamie Rivers. I'm Brandon Kylie. That's Alex Ferrario. It's 112. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. I want to talk about that. What if ba- what happens in baseball if the NFL and college football both come back in the fall with fans in the stands? Does baseball follow suit? And what does that mean for the revenue sharing? We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. We'll get into that next on 101 ESPN. With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rivers and BK on 101 ESPN. So we were just talking about the NFL and some of the things that they're going to have to overcome eventually as well. And Jamie brought up an interesting point. I did. It doesn't happen often, but it does happen occasionally. I did. I must have blacked out. The NFL and college football are almost assuredly going to have fans in the stands. That's going to happen. We we can all agree on that starting point, right? I don't know how many, but they're going to probably very likely have fans in the stands whenever their season begins. If that ends up being the case, and these seasons start in August, September, what does baseball do? What does baseball do if we get to, let's call it September, and baseball's midway through whatever it's doing, hopefully. <laughs> and you have fans in the stands for the NFL and college football. Do they follow suit? Do they decide then, you know what? We're in all of our cities. That was their plan from the beginning. Do we decide now, okay, we are also going to put fans in the stands? And how does that change what they're negotiating right now with the players Ooh, with the money situation? That's a good point, BK. Because if I'm a player... And let's say they they unilaterally, the owners, unilaterally implement this 50-game season, right? Mm-hmm. And they're paid in full for those 50 games. I'm going to be furious if 30 games in, they now have fans in the stands, and then we get to the postseason, and they've got a full house, potentially, for this playoff run, and they're getting all of their revenue, and the players all offseason and through the summer were arguing for them to play more games, and now they got they potentially missed out on a lot of money as a result of all, of all of this. Okay, so first of all, did you think of that yourself? I did. It's pretty impressive. It's it's rare, just like your good point, but yeah. I made one as well. No, but that that seriously, it's 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 something that I really hadn't thought of, and I don't know how many people have thought about it. We haven't even heard some of the experts. So Listen, we off. all know that you get original thoughts on this show. Yeah. Now, they might not be good ones sometimes. They may not they be good at all. Be original. <laughs> but you know what? It is a great question, BK, because that changes the dynamic to everything. Because the owners, cr- you know, crying about no revenue, no revenue, no Biblical fans. losses. Biblical losses. 70% comes from the gate, right? Well, if you're going to be able to recoup even anything better than zero, as we've said before on this show, the changes. So how will that affect the players then? Because then players get these rollbacks or they don't get paid this or that and they're being left out for certain bonuses maybe. I don't know what it ends up being ultimately. But now the game changer is halfway through this so-called season. Boom, we've got half a stadium. That changes everything. It It really does. It changes the calculus on literally everything. 
Mm-hmm. If I'm a player, that's something that I'm thinking about right now. You need to call the players union and give them the heads up on you this. call Jack Flaherty because he's been super active, by the Dude, way. I know he's listening. Jack, give me a call. You text me all the time. I'm I'm sorry I blocked you that one time. I didn't know who it was. I thought you were kidding. I reached out to him on Twitter yesterday. Didn't get back Did with me. I was a little disappointed by that. Oh, is that why you're blocked now? Hey, now, don't start those rumors. I'm only <laughs> I'm only blocked by one athlete that I covered, and that's Tyron Matthew. That's another conversation. I was like, oh, sorry day. about that. You <laughs> need to hear that story. You're, you're blocked by two. You just don't know it. <laughs> Another one kidding. of my coworkers as well, the one that I work with six maybe, feet away every day. Maybe not. No, but uh, yeah, so this is going to be interesting to see how that works out. And I can tell you this right now that if, if the timelines that work this way, where baseball will be kind of halfway through or even towards the end of what they're trying to do, and NFL starts coming back with fans, baseball absolutely absolutely is going to venture into that water. And they're going to be like, okay, let's start with 5,000, 10,000. They'll, they'll start putting them in as hopefully as safely as they can. But yeah, 100% this is going to happen. Because this isn't a worry for the NHL or the NBA. They're in hub cities. So you're not you're not going to have this. Maybe you allow some people in the stands, but it's not as big of an issue. And you're closed stadiums, right? So right. I think the open air makes a difference, at least perceptive or whatever you want to call that. When you look at it from the outside looking in, it looks like that would be a big difference maker. But I just wonder, you know, I'm just wondering how they're going to. And you know what? Here's what I wonder, too. Is baseball, has this been the strategy all along? And we go back to, never mind the hub cities, we're going to go with our own cities, where the owners and even the players thinking about, hmm, if we get creeping along enough, now we won't have to be worried about playing in hub cities where there's no fans or a possibility of a few. You remember, um, the original idea was the spring training sites for as long as they had to until they were able to return to their home cities to have fans in the stands. That was the original report, the like, very beginning of all of this, before the Arizona plan, before the Arizona plus Florida plan, before the Arizona plus Florida plus Texas, before we get to all of these different cities. It was, well, we're going to start out here and then we'll eventually work our way back to the stadium. Yeah, you know, I do remember that now. So, if that was the original plan, and it seems like much sometimes. everything's coming back to where did we start, because 82 games was the starting point, and now that's the midpoint of where these two sides are, maybe that's what they're were what they hoping to do. Maybe that's why the owners are dragging their feet right now, to be able to try to play as many of these games with fans in the stands, and then they move on that way. I... I don't know what they're going to do. And 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Baseball has no idea what they will do. I feel like that's become readily apparent for all of us. It's a good point. I, I don't know that they know what they will do at that point either. But if I'm a baseball team, if I'm Bill DeWitt and John Mosellock and the thinking, the, the, the brains behind that operation down at Bush Stadium, I would say to myself, if I'm looking across the state line, and seeing what's going on in Kansas City with the Chiefs or up in Chicago with the Bears. Mm-hmm. And they've got, let's call it even 40,000 fans in the stands. And I've got the ability to fit 20,000 fans every night in my stands. You better believe that I'm going to take advantage of that. And maybe it's a case-by-case basis. Maybe this is something where at the end of the year, they do go with the revenue sharing amongst the owners, amongst the teams. And some some stadiums are allowed to have those fans. Others aren't. I don't know what that does for home field advantage in the postseason or if they if it changes things that way. But if they have the ability to get this added revenue, and they're the ones that have been telling us all about how we, how significant this is in terms of their bottom line, I have a really hard time believing that they won't take advantage of that. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I don't see why they wouldn't. I just, um, uh, what scares me or makes me nervous is the fact that they're not talking about that at all right now. Like, if I was the owners or if I'm the players, I'd be like, you know what? Let's just put an asterisk this down here and we'll put it out of the way. But let's just say the fans come back. Let's just say we're allowed to. What model would we be looking at for that? And they haven't talked about it yet. So I, I just worry that it's going to get sprung into the mix here at some point. And one of these sides is going to be really, really pissed. And it's going to mess with not the rest of the season, but the future CBA that they're going to try and negotiate. He's Jamie Rivers. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. One other thing that I wanted to bring up quickly is the report that came out the other day that we haven't discussed yet. A season very well could be based upon the geographical location of these teams. We heard this report a while ago. I think it was Bob Nightingale who brought this up that we could see kind of geographically scheduled games, right? So the central divisions would play against one another. But it's kind of been back into the background lately because we've been talking more about the money side of things. Well, the Boston Globe brought this back up and they said, hey, one thing that baseball is looking at right now is really doing this, deciding that the schedule that they're going to release for this 50, 80, however many games that we play will be geographically located. So the NL Central and the AL Central would be put together, and that would be where you play the majority of your games this season. If you're looking for a sense of optimism here in St. Louis, this could be one. Mm -hmm. Because if you're going to be put with any division in the American League, that's the one you want to be put with. Yeah. As a Royals fan, I can tell you, that team stinks. They are no good. And playing more games against the Kansas City Royals this year is good for the St. Louis Cardinals. In fact, the teams in the AL and NL Central last year had a cumulative record of 58 games below 500, the worst in Major League Baseball. I like it. They also had a run differential of minus 300 combined. Yes. Again, the worst of any of these three groups that you could be put in. Those teams also have the lowest projected win totals of the three hubs divisions, if you will, mm-hmm. that you could potentially be placed in. So if you're looking for an advantage, looking for a little bit of optimism as a Cardinals fan right now, the teams that you play against this year, if they decide to go this route, could be at least one thing that you look at for a reason for optimism for 2020. I like that. Sucks to be a team in the East. Yeah, it does. If you're a National League team and you're thinking, oh, this should be smooth sailing. Oh, wait, now you got to deal with the Yankees? Dude, brutal. Woof. Absolutely hey, brutal. 618, asterisk. They asked me to pronounce that again. I don't know. I guess I say it wrong. Say that one more say time. Say it again? Asterisk. There's, a, there's an S before the K. Is there? Yeah. Maybe that's asterisk. what it says. Can Jamie pronounce asterisk again? There okay. you go. You got it that time. There's a lot of S's in that bad boy. Asterisk. Time was a charm. Asterisk. Just say it fast so nobody can tell. Asterix. It's like Worcestershire nope, sauce. Nope. <laughs> you switched it up again. Forget it. You need to me. Beat it. <laughs> That's former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. There's going to be some serious conversations that are about, about to be happening within a few teams around the country. We'll talk about it next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. This is of your tax. puts out this statement. Players that I've spoken to say they're proud of what he said. They believe in his words. The sentiments have changed. Now, I obviously have not spoken to every single member of this team, but I did speak to the head coach, Sean Payton, who also agrees he is proud of Drew's statement at this time, the apology that he put out. 
With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. That was Diana Rossini on ESPN earlier today talking about the teammates and their reaction to Drew Brees' statement, again, that he's released earlier today, his apology for the backlash that happened after his public statements yesterday to Yahoo Finance. We talked about that a little bit earlier. If you missed any of it, I would check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. We made our thoughts known on kind of the whole situation surrounding Drew Brees. I want to further that conversation a little bit here, though, because I think what you just heard from Diana is what we're going to be seeing within teams all across the country over the next few days. There's going to be a lot of conversations that are had amongst teammates that have not been had before. Drew Brees and his teammates have apparently a Zoom call that was previously scheduled that they're going to be having tonight. That's going to be a different kind of conversation than Drew Brees has very likely had with any of his teammates ever before. Down in Florida State, where Mike Norvell, their new head football coach, said over the weekend that he talks to all of his players individually, and then their best player at Florida State comes out on Twitter yesterday and said that didn't happen. Those are going to be some conversations within the team and the coach that they wouldn't have had otherwise. And it's not going to be localized to those two places. But, Jamie, you've been in those locker rooms before. I know a lot of the time, I would imagine, politics isn't the first thing that comes up. Social justice issues are not going to be the first thing that comes up within that locker room. I think that might change in the next few days. I think there's going to be some conversations that are had that maybe otherwise wouldn't have been. Well, yeah, look, at usually politics are never involved, but I can tell you this, that race has been a topic of conversation in locker rooms before. Uh, in hockey specifically, I've been on teams where there have been conversations that have had it because they needed to be. Somebody said something that they shouldn't say or somebody acted a certain way when they shouldn't have, and it's handled. It In hockey, it was handled in that locker room. Now, I'm not talking about how, oh, everything's good, it's handled. No, there's still a lot of things that are happening that happened over the years. But for the most part, or I didn't say the most part, the best way to do it is to have those locker room discussions. You don't have media like the the Drew Brees coming out on online and having that, and then the backlash from people on social media. I understand the the hurt on some of them, and maybe the anger at the time. But these conversations are always more productive and better face to face in a locker room. And I know that's difficult because of our pandemic yeah. times right now, but I do feel that if you get together as a group, even over a Zoom call, like they're going to do. This is the time to start healing as the group. And and Drew obviously will have uh, a, a statement of his own to his teammates, an apology that we won't hear about, that shouldn't. Or should we? We shouldn't hear about. Um, but, yeah, this is going to be uh, it's unique times in so many ways right now in 2020. And, you know, the conversation long overdue. I've been very open about my family and that, Three days in a row now, we've had different, unique conversations regarding current events. And I'm honest, we never had those talks before. Yeah, we had general talks of this is what being a good human being is. This is what you should should do, should not do. And you want to raise good kids. But we haven't had conversations to the same degree as we've had over the last couple of days. And that was really eye-opening to me. I said to my wife last night, I go, it's amazing We've never really had these conversations, and we need to, and yep. we need to continue. And I said, we're going to have another family meeting 
coming up here, and we're going to discuss what we feel are the values that the Rivers family needs to live by. And we're going to set an example for people around us that when you're around us, this is the way we would like to roll. And if you don't like that, then I guess we don't need to be around each other at that point. And that includes aunts, uncles, grandmas, grandpas, friends, neighbors, whatever it is. I feel like this is a time for my family specifically to go in a direction that we feel is the right way to do it. That's awesome. And I I think there's a lot of colleges across the country that are going to have a lot of those conversations as well within their programs, right? I know uh, Eli Drinkwitz is having a Zoom meeting right now with a lot of the local media, and he said the team has created an action plan that started with voter registration, and there's more to come with community service, internships, things like that. If you missed it yesterday, Mizzou did take some action. We heard from Conzo Martin in the morning, and in the afternoon, he and a lot of the athletes that are currently on campus marched on campus, took a knee for eight minutes and 46 seconds, and then entered the courthouse to register to vote. They had 62 student athletes that registered to vote yesterday. That's making real change. That's making a difference. And that's having conversations with your athletes, your student athletes that are on campus to grow. I went to Mizzou. When I went to Mizzou as an 18-year-old, I was a kid that didn't know what the heck he was doing. By the time I left, I had a lot of growth in my life. That's what this time is for these guys that are on campus, these women that are on campus. They grow by the time they leave, and these coaches are a huge part of that. And so these conversations that they're going to be having in the coming days, weeks, and months are going to be really important as a part of that growth. We also saw yesterday Dak Prescott who pledged a million dollars to, quote, improve our police training and address systemic racism through education and advocacy. This is where the change comes. It's We've seen a lot of statements over the last couple of days. It's the conversations that you're having with your family, Jamie, that Conzo Martin is having with his team, that Eli Drinkwitz is having with his team, that are certainly not exclusive to Mizzou, but that's just the local example, and the real monetary investment that we're seeing from Dak Prescott and others, that's where this comes from. Sorry, Alex, I cut you off there for a second. No, you were fine. I was just I was going to follow up with what Riv said, and I think, if anything, which... Drew Brees has learned from this situation that I think a lot of us have learned from this situation is listening a lot more because so many of us are, are, are fast to react when something like this happens, and rightfully so. Everybody has an opinion, and that's the whole reason what we talked about in the opening of the show of what people fight, their, they give their lives where they fight for people to offer their opinion. But the ability to sit back and listen right now, I think, is the most vital thing that everyone's trying to get across to people. And I think that's where that growth comes in. And I think that's where you're going to start seeing more athletes try and have those conversations so people will listen. Where you're going to see coaches and leaderships of teams and young men and young women in college sports they're having those conversations like you just said with your family ribs and to me that's the biggest thing that i've taken away from all of this is rather than react and be so fast to put your opinion out there take a step back sit down and listen and then you can construct your opinion after all of that and that goes both ways too okay uh i think a lot of people reacted very quickly to drew Brees' comments and i said this top of the show that I don't feel like I ever understood why Colin Kaepernick truly took a knee. Agreed. All right? So flip side of that is before we go and absolutely lose our mind on Drew Brees, let's find out exactly what he's trying to say. Let's understand what he's saying because guess what? There's two people that might kind of be saying the same thing, but they're saying it and doing it differently, and we're causing friction for no reason at all. Correct. So that's why the conversation, not the fight, the conversation needs to be had. And 636, uh, 
Air Comfort Service text line, you go, so no compromise? Just your way or the highway, Riv? Well, no, that's that's not what I said. What what I meant by what I said was that we're going to have serious talks with friends and family members. And if they don't view life the same way as we do as far as how we want to conduct our business, so to say, um, you know, we'll have the talks. But if they're unwilling to change, this is the way I want my family to live their life. And this is the way I want people who are going to be influential in my children's lives to be. So it's not really my way or the highway. It's ultimately in the hands of the people that are surrounding my family. It's their way or the highway. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line, also from the 636. So the number one rule to be able to stick with the Rivers house is obviously keep the wine storage full, correct? 100%. That's a huge part of that. And keep your hands out of the bread. Yes, keep your hands out of the bread. <laughs> Good recall, Mrs. Man. Rivers prefers mustard, okay? Not um, sweaty teenager boy hands in the bread. Not being washed. And then other places. Mine's and craft beer. Yours is the wine. Alex, what's the number one rule at your place? Mine's uh, mine's whiskey, boys. Whiskey. Whiskey. What's the whiskey of choice right now for uh, Alex Ferrario? Uh, Knob Creek. Oh, that's a good yeah, one. My buddy my buddy got me into Knob Creek, yeah, best man at my wedding. And let me tell you something. Every time we're barbecuing, we heard Petro talk about that, having a nice uh, wine when he's grilling. Mine's a, a nice Jack and Coke or a Knob Creek and Coke while I'm out grilling. Got to keep that whiskey stored up. I like a good knob. Amen to that, brother. Mm-hmm. That's what she said. What? Why are you staring at me? Knob Creek. Come on, BK. It's deservedly so. (laughs) Oh, what a show. What a show this is that we do. Happy one-month anniversary, man. It's been great. Thank you. Happy one-month anniversary. I like it. Let's celebrate. Speaking of wine. He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll cross things over with the fast lane next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Time to cross things over with the fast line. We have drawn the, the big straw today. We got Chris Ronji in studio. Ronji, what's up, man? I am the tallest Are of you everybody. Not? Yeah, that I'm like 6'2". No, you're not. That yeah, that's with the hat on. And shoes. We had official measurement of 6'2"? Do you stuff your sneakers? No, no. Do you wear lifts? I no. stuff other things. Yeah, man. you look like you're no, a stuffer. It, uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big-time stuffer. Yeah. Jeez. What have you guys been doing in the show today? It sounds like uh, you're having a lot of fun. Sounds like you're you're in good moods. It's all the one-month anniversary of the two of us, three of us, all being together every day. Yes. One-month anniversary. One You guys month. got anything celebrated? Wait, is it a month for us, too? A month for you guys? I well, would that, imagine that's how that would work. Yeah. I got to tell you. I got to tell you. It feels like it's been five days, you know? Jamie said it felt like six years. So I guess it's a little different uh, environment yeah. for you guys than it is for us. Well, I'll let you know how I feel about 530. Maybe it will have felt like six years for me. But, yeah. you know, for right now, I feel pretty good about it. There we go. What, uh, what do you got in that bag over there, buddy? Uh, today, we got some, uh, we got a turkey burger. Uh, well, we're going to okay. take down after okay. this some uh, some sweet potato fries. Why? Uh, I feel like a lot of people eat during the show, during I, their shows. I, I, I don't know why that is. Do I you? eat. I, I not today. I forgot my lunchbox at home. But I eat, not like meals, though. I have like yeah. fruit and little like things. And like I just kind of like kill myself. Like what is it? The army says death by a thousand cuts. Yes. Mine is like eating by a thousand little bites. Yeah. It's yeah. really hard in this shift. 
I have learned in the yeah. last month. Um, because before, when I'm a producer, right, I, can, I do some stuff behind the scenes during the show. You yeah, got a you few minutes here and off there. And, yeah. You're good. You got 10 minutes. You can, you can go ahead and yeah, kill take that it lunch easy, real quick. Have a break, right? Yeah. yeah, all those things. That's exactly what I was doing. <laughs> I, uh, I had a roommate that used to do a caveman diet. You ever heard of this? I, or maybe like it was called paleo? a warrior diet or something. No, it was it was it's not that. But what he, the thought process was: you eat one big meal a day, and because like no cavemen used to make one kill, that this was the this was their philosophy. Like a caveman, yeah, yeah, would I make the, one kill, like like a, an animal. Eat that one animal for that day, and that would be it. What time do you kill and eat the animal? I don't know. You do like he would, he would usually, like, is that a breakfast kill? Or no, a he, would eat kill? A, he would eat like late in the day. So like late afternoon, yeah. like mid-lunch and so dinner? And then he would just rest. A fasting diet. Yeah. That's it, what it was a lot of Isn't that the worst way to eat is one huge meal? That's what they say, yeah. But yeah. it does... It also puts, there's a lot of researches going around about this, this, the fasting thing, right? That's the new fad that a lot of people are into is the fasting diet where you like don't eat for 12 hours and then you eat over the next yeah. six or whatever. But some people say that it helps you to burn the fat right. instead of the carbs. There's right. other people that say, no, that puts you into starvation mode and it ends up being really bad whenever you start eating normally again. It kind of depends. I had a buddy yeah. in high school who did that for religious reasons. He wouldn't eat until midnight. And then he would eat from, like, midnight till, like, 1 a.m. or 2 a.m., and that would be it for the day. Hmm. Now, was he drinking a lot? Maybe a lot of water. a lot of weed? No. No. No? A lot of water he drank, but All right. not a lot of liquor. But I would not recommend this caveman diet. Because I, I, we, we'd be like a, uh, you know, so you're doing this. You've been doing it for several weeks. How do you feel, Tony? He's like, I feel like crap. <laughs> Ron, you should do I it feel for terrible. a week. You should no. go for a week and then no, it just sounds bad. No, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I've, I've seen somebody else do it and it's awful. We and... should get a caveman in here and talk to him yeah. about it. That's a good point. Who's the who's the closest a to a caveman? caveman we know? Cam Jansen. He's pretty close. That's, uh, oh. Yeah, that's spot on. I mean, okay. he's a he, he's a quality knuckle dragger. Yeah, I but love he can Cam. he can read. Mm. Mm. <laughs> oh, maybe not. Mm. I we feel can... like I've I've seen him read stuff like yeah. signs or whatever. Yeah. Well, maybe, that's maybe a, green a, lights, red lights. I think he knows those. That's a, a wonderful picture. So I do have a question for you, Ron. Uh, we got a few minutes left here. Uh, I re- I was reading story yesterday that AMC might not be able to make it through this. Like we might lose AMC the theater. theaters. Um, how much do you think that our movie going experience is going to change because of all of this? Like if AMC ends up going away, and they're not the only movie theater out there, but they are a big one. How much do you think things change after this? Well, uh, I I feel like there are always going to be some theaters around, and at least for a while, you're just not going to be sitting next to one another. So the idea of a packed theater is is out for a considerable amount of time. And then it, I do think that at some point we're going to revisit it. You may not have those massive movie theater companies any longer. Maybe we are all at home um, on opening night of the of the whatever movie is being released and you pay 20 bucks to watch it right. at home. Or maybe it's 30 bucks. I mean, I, I don't really know because they don't know how many people are in your house watching the thing, right? I mean, they can't. They got to make their money, so I, I don't. I think for a short period of time, it probably changes, and I think you're going to have those options because they did it. If you remember when the pandemic started, like within a week or two, there were a lot of current. It was the new Trolls movie that was one of the yeah, first, the, if I'm not the, mistaken. There's the Elizabeth Moss movie, the about the uh, the Invisible, Invisible Man, Man movie, like that one was immediately available to buy, so you could do that. Um, so I think that happens. Let me ask you this then, okay? And this is up for debate for everybody. So, traditionally, 
you meet a nice young lady, and you're like, hey, let's break the ice. Let's just let's go to a movie. It's dinner in a, a movie. Dinner in a movie or cocktails in a movie. Don't knock it till you try it, okay? Mm-hmm. Cocktails in a movie. Now, does it get weird now? Can you like, hey, Wanna let's go to watch a movie? a movie? At my house. In my living room. That's right. If you say it like that, then it's creepy. Is it though? Yeah. It's in very my creepy. Living room. So if I say it differently, hey, want to watch a movie in my living room? That's a lot better than that your first seems, one. Really? The first one sounded like you wanted to murder somebody. No, I don't think it was murder, but mm. maybe maybe that's why my sexy voice doesn't work at home. Sounds like a murdering voice. You you know, Jamie, you just do the Dennis Reynolds and you uh, you take her to a place that you know is closed on Mondays, and then you say, "Well, we can get a pizza and go back to my place." So your strategy? Yeah. That's the new go-to. It's <laughs> yeah. a hell of a That's strategy, it. Ronge. It's not mine. I, I didn't make it up. It's the caveman huh. strategy. To Dennis Reynolds. Uh, Maybe I'll do that. Guys, say, hey, none honey. of you have ever seen It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, have you? I have not. I've seen mm-hmm. individual episodes, but not it's the series. It's a real series. bummer. You guys should see it. I'm our, Funny I'm, show. I'm go- trying to go through my sitcoms right now. I'm starting out with The Office. We're going to go to Parks and Rec soon. I've got Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Brooklyn Nine-Nine's okay. awesome. Guys got a lot of time on your hands. Yeah. I, there's I, a pandemic. I think ultimately, guys, people want to go out. They want to do stuff. You know, sometimes you feel like being at home, but every now and then you're, you're just going to feel like I need to be out and I want to go watch a movie out. And the, the process of going to a theater for me has always been enjoyable. I, I like I it. Movie, I, yeah. I like, mm-hmm. you know, pretending like I want popcorn and then getting the popcorn and then getting five bite, bites into the popcorn and going, why did I get this? Because I don't want it. I, I never finish a bag of popcorn ever, but it smells good and you want it when you go into the theater. You feel like you need it. You feel like you walk through the door and you're like, I'm supposed to yes. get popcorn. It's like, a package deal. It's yeah. the smell. 100%. It smells great. Yeah. And you think I got to have some. I think they pump that through the... Uh, Air conditioning unit. Make sure everyone smells it in the movie theater, too. That's probably what they do. I think it is. Or everybody just has it and the smell is in the theater. It's another another theory. It's not a good theory. It could go either way. It's a dumb theory. It's a caveman theory. That doesn't make any sense at all, Jamie. Jamie, cheese. What are you talking about? What happens if nobody has popcorn in the theater you're in? The smell of popcorn is overpowering. And uh, burnt popcorn is even worse. Oh, yeah. I, I... I've told this before, uh, not to you guys, but I used to work with a guy. You guys know who Doug Buffon is? He used to be a, a former Bears player. He, he no. died like five years ago. Um, but he was a, a linebacker, right? This really big dude. And he would smoke. Okay? And he would smoke in the office. Like he had his own little office where he could close the door. Uh, didn't have to deal with a cubicle. So he would go in his office and he would smoke. And then he would go around the corner to the kitchen, and he would get a bag of popcorn, and he would burn it. On like purpose? He, on purpose. Yes. Get rid of the smell. To get rid of the smell Psychopath. of the smoke. I'm with you. It covers up the smell of everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he could smoke in his office, get away with it by burning popcorn in the kitchen around the corner. Because I remember I used to come in, my my first like year, I would come in and like, damn it, who the hell keeps burning popcorn in here? It, <laughs> it would piss me off. Yeah, I was, it, it, it was awful, off. but he would... And and then somebody finally told me what was going on. I went, oh, that's brilliant because I've never smelled cigarette smoke, but I smell burnt popcorn. Huh. He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. Don't do that at your house, though, or don't do that at your office. I know if you want to have a smoke and you don't feel like going downstairs, especially when it's cold, suck it up. I mean, if you really got to if you really got to support your habit, just leave. Don't burn popcorn. It smells worse than burn popcorn. Popcorn farts. That's Jamie Rivers. He's Alex Ferrario. That was Chris Ranji. I'm Brandon Kylie. Happy, happy one month anniversary.
boys. Happy, Happy one month anniversary. Hey, congratulations, so guys. Hard. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. The fast lane is coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.